You're listening to Video Monsters, a weekly podcast. Uh, well, uh, mostly weekly. Sometimes more, sometimes less. <sighs> All right, fine. A mostly weekly podcast of Creatures Talking Features with your hosts, Nathan Simmons and Eric Harris. Video Monsters is brought to you by the Chattanooga Film Festival and Central Cinema in Knoxville, Tennessee. Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or online at chatfilmfest.org and centralcinema865.com. And links for each of these can also be found on our pages, so be sure to follow us at Video Monster Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Hello and welcome to episode 385 of Video Monsters. I'm Nathan. I'm Eric. I'm Dan. And uh, we're all still reeling a little bit from our Stephen King popcorn punch out because, oh boy, I think that might have knocked the wind out of all of us a lot. Yeah, I, I, th- I think, think we're reeling for different reasons. Uh, I'm reeling because we were up till like 2 o'clock in the morning and I uh, overslept this morning. Uh, which is, which I would like to point out, is not the next morning, but the day after that. So, yeah. <laughs> and, we, and we are still exhausted from it. Uh, I'm really because Christine did not make it into the top three. That's it was ever spoiler alert. Oops. God, yeah, yeah. Spoilers, spoilers, heartbreaking spoilers. If you've not yet listened to the punch out. <sighs> yeah, Dan, what 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 are you reeling from from the uh, King Punch Out? Uh, being up till two in the morning. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank thank God the weekend was here. Yep. If we had done this on a Tuesday, I would be toast for the rest of the week, I think. Oh, yeah. Yep. Because I just can't function on no sleep anymore. Um, Same. Very, very, very surprised by the choices that made it in. But, hey, it made me rewatch Stand By Me yesterday, which was always fun. Which was nice. So, <laughs> yeah. And uh, if you've not yet listened to that episode, uh, I do think that the, the the official Video Monsters top three Stephen King films, I feel like, is a very very appropriate, uh, albeit maybe not conventional list of uh, of, of great King films. No, it is not. <laughs> <laughs> and the more that I look at it, the more I get confused, but also very happy because I just it's it's great. I really can't argue with it. Um, as sad as I was when some of my personal <laughs> favorites lost. I'm fully times. thrilled with that. I mean, I had to uh, uh, reckon with my disappointment pretty early on. So I think that it's been a little bit easier for me to accept what's <laughs> happened. Yeah, you were pretty you were pretty heartbroken before it even really got going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Things uh, things took a real dark turn early. I was pretty uh, I was pretty cranky for about the midpoint of the episode. And then by the end of it, I'm like, Fuck it. I'm just having fun with this. This is great. Why not? And, and look, that might or might not. I went through be... a full character arc through that episode. <laughs> you, you went through more of a character arc than some of the King adaptations. That's for sure. Um, that might or might not be why I intentionally picked a Dreamcatcher very first. So that uh, everything else after that surely you was only, only going to go uphill. It could only go up from Dreamcatcher. Exactly. It was for your benefit. All right. Sure. So enough about King until we eventually talk about a couple of King movies in, in tonight's episode as well. Uh, we are talking about the Knoxville Horror Film Festival 2022, which I don't remember which year this is. Uh, like how many of the film fests they've done. I want to say 10, 14, 14. I was yeah. off by a few. 10 was the year that I went. Um, in 
18, I guess, would be. Yeah, 2018. That's how numbers work. Um, yeah, so this is the 14th. Yeah, so this is uh, COVID is really thrown off my, uh, my sense of time. Oh, then. 100%. Yeah. So, so, yeah, the 14th Knoxville Horror Film Festival, which, dear God, I, I love Knoxville so much. Uh, the, the film festival, maybe not necessarily the city. And we've talked about this a lot and um, <laughs> like every single episode, it feels like. But I, I want to start with just a little bit of why I love the Film Fest so much. And then we can dive into some of the specific films. But I've, I've said this every time that I talk about Central Cinema and Knoxville Horror Film Festival. But it feels like going into the Monster Squad Clubhouse. It feels like going into the Stand By Me Clubhouse with more horror. It feels just it, it feels like going home to all of your loving, caring, comforting horror family rather than, you know, the terrible family that you have to actually see around the holidays. <laughs> um, it's it, it just the, the first year that I was there, it felt right. You know, like walking in, it's just these are my people. And every mm. single year, it's only been more and more and more of that. It is not turned into one of the film fests that has, you know, just like all the snobby like, oh, I'm a content creator. Type of people, uh, which is going to relate a little bit uh, into one of the films that that screened there, uh, with and how it was making fun of content creators. Um, but, but yeah, just the people who who put on Knoxville, uh, William Mahaffey and uh, Nick Hunker Hinker Hunker Nick. I'm so sorry that I do not know how to pronounce your last name. I am terrible with names. Uh, but yeah, William and Nick and just the entire Knoxville Horror Film Fest crew, they they know how to put on a fucking horror film fest. And they they have a great mix of older films and newer films. They, they're very, very much aware of the fact that not every film is going to be loved by everyone. And so they give you that variety, but then they also give you a very comprehensive feeling. Like there's never been a time that I've been there where it felt like, why are they showing this? It all feels, it just feels like a complete experience and, and I adore it. And, uh, this year, sadly, I was only able to be there for a couple of the films. Uh, and it was, it was sad that I was only there for a little bit of time, but that short, short period of time that I was there, it, it made my soul very, very happy. Uh, Eric, you've been before. Yep. Weren't able to go mm -hmm. this year at all, which makes me sad. I know. But <laughs> what are some of uh, of your thoughts on just the film fest in general? And I know we've said this. I know this is repeating ourselves from previous episodes. But <clears throat> in case this is the first Knoxville Horror Film Fest episode that someone is uh, listening to us about. Yeah, no. Um, I mean, honestly, I think Central Cinema is, uh, you always hit it hit the nail on the head, uh, but it does feel very much like uh, they're within the Video Monsters wheelhouse in terms of like, we're going to play things like, um, you know, your typical, I'm looking at the October calendar and they played stuff like Paranorman and Trick or Treat, of course, for Halloween is coming up uh, today and tomorrow. Um, but they also play things like at the beginning of the month, they had the Moon Age Daydream, like the David Bowie documentary. Um and they did uh, The Room with Greg Sestero, and they also have, like, Pan's Labyrinth. And, like, like so they really run the gamut of, like, every type of um, any kind of, like, cinema that you're interested in, whether it be, like, indie cinema or classics or, you know, just, like, fun, trashy movies. Like, they, they do everything. And they also do events like Poetry Slams and Skate Video Nights. And I don't know, like, there's just such a breadth of... They're, they're definitely trying to be a movie house for everyone yeah. you know 
Um, and I, I love that about it. It is such a, and, and yeah, like you said, whenever you walk into the place, you know, it's, it's such a cozy invite, has such a cozy inviting atmosphere it is so much fun. There's so much love in every inch of that place. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's, it's wonderful. I, I, I adore every inch of Central Cinema and of the Knoxville Horror Film Fest. They always have impeccable curation. Um, I, I, like I said, I was really bummed that I didn't get a chance to go to any of it this year. Um, but I, uh, I, it was, it was still a thrill just to even like keep up with their social media posts and see what all they're going to be playing. Cause it's like, man, no other place, at least around <laughs> Tennessee is doing, or in Southeast Tennessee, at least is doing anything like this. Um, it's, it's very much something that needs to be celebrated yeah they've and you know you mentioned some of the events they also do like an up all night event where they uh you know show movies all night and they do like a christmas mini horror film fest uh so lot lots of really really great things happening there um and also i'm i'm very happy that you brought up it is a very video monsters uh place because much like video monsters where we are not exclusively a horror podcast but oh man we sure have some major leanings into it Central Cinema is not yeah. just a horror uh, movie house. Sure, they love horror and they they play a lot of it. But yeah, you're also going to get you know some um, some some classics. You're going to get uh, some some newer indie stuff. So the, the you get some family friendly stuff. You know, they play like yeah. Wallace and Gromit this month and Beetlejuice and all that stuff. Yeah, Coraline. So, so they they show they they have a very they play Curse of the Were Rabbit. They play Curse of the Were Rabbit. Yeah. Oh, I can love that. Yeah. <laughs> they've yeah. they've also awesome. got something in the dirt uh, that they're screening this month a couple of times. So, so yeah, they, they do a lot of A24 films. So a lot of uh, a lot of variety in, in what you can catch there. Damn. Like I, you said, they do a lot of A24 films as if the film that you're speaking of is not It Follows. Oh, wait, no, that's <laughs> 24. Is it A24? I can't remember if that's A24. No. I don't think it is. <laughs> no, okay, just kidding. Definitely A24 feeling, but not A24. Yeah, yeah. I thought you were trying to uh, obliquely refer to Fallas as no, the movie they play. No, no, they do just they, they play a lot of A twenty four. Dan, even though you have never actually been there in person because you're all the way up north, you need to come yes. back down south at some point. And by back down south, I mean down south. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though you've never been there, what are some of your thoughts on uh, Knoxville Horror Film Fest and or Central Cinema based off of what you've seen them screen, what we've uh, been able to watch online, uh, the way that Eric and I showered all of our love onto it? Uh, what do, what do you I mean, I've got serious FOMO. That That is for sure. <laughs> um, we, we do not have a large amount of... Um, small independent theaters here in Maine and the ones that do typically lean more towards the art house fair, but I'm, I'm talking more about the, the documentaries about like growing wheat and shit type of art house (laughs) fair. Um, they, I mean, there's a place in Waterville that is, it's very similar sounding. Um, but like I said, they have, they lean heavily towards more of the arty art art house films, um, because their patrons are all usually people in their fifties through seventies. So they're not going to play a lot of the, uh, the smaller horror-based films and stuff like that, even though they did play John Cameron Mitchell's short bus 
about three months ago. God, I wish I could have made it there just to see all the people walk out of that when that guy <laughs> when the guy opens the movie sucking his own dick. Um, I'm pretty sure there were a lot of angry walkouts at that point, or at least maybe not angry, but like oh my's, and then and then leave quietly. Uh, it's that type of theater, right? Uh, God, that's and, and the thought of like this type of film festival, it's God. I just want to go. <laughs> I don't want to go so badly. Uh, they need to work on high-speed rail services from the northeast to the south. Very uh, true. So that, so that I can just like hop on like a twelve-hour train and and be there. Uh, that would make me very happy. Um, but yeah, I, I I love the the idea of seeing a bunch of Fulci on a big screen or seeing Army of Darkness, the one film I actually have seen on a big big screen, but I was very very young. Um, I'd love to see mm. that again. In the 4K remaster, you've so you've not had a chance to see Evil Dead or uh, Evil Dead Two on the big screen. I have seen Evil Dead, oddly enough, at the Railroad Square Cinema in Waterville on Halloween <laughs> three or four years ago when the when that 4K was making okay. rounds. So I was see that. Okay, that, Knoxville did did it too. Yeah, I was I was about to have like a mini heart attack of just like, oh my god, did yeah. you, did you miss Evil Dead in 4K when it was on the big screen? Because that again, I did. Yeah, just to highlight <sighs> the 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 people that go to that particular theater, it was. Evil Dead in 4K on Halloween night, there were about 15 people there. Oh, my God. So it's like, that's, you know, that's what I deal with sometimes up here. <laughs> that that makes me sad. I mean, yeah. I usually can get tickets for when they do stuff like that because it's not <laughs> an immediate sellout by any means. So that's true. Uh, yeah, yeah. When, when Knoxville screened the uh, the 4K restoration of the Evil Dead a few years ago, like I, I it, it was one of the best moments of my life. And uh, and yeah, too, like the year after that, I believe, right? Now yeah, yeah, completing the trilogy. Yeah, oh man, that makes me so happy. Uh, so speaking of some of the more obscure films, that actually no, before getting into some of the more obscure films, <coughs> one of the other great things about Central Cinema, not only during the Knoxville Horror Film Fest, but just throughout the year, is they also partner with a lot of other um, community agencies. So like during Knoxville Horror Film Fest, they do some of the screenings at the local drive-in. Uh, they they do some uh, throughout the year some outside showings at um, I'm's nature center. So, you know, like you can do things like watch evil dead in the park at dark. Uh, forget if they've actually shown evil dead, but you know, things like that where they show, uh, you know, some really fun campy, uh, um, you know, sort of like midnight movies uh, in the park. And that is awesome. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they, they do a lot of those partnerings. Uh, and part of the reason that I mentioned that is a few of the films that screened this year did screen at the drive-in. I don't know which ones did and which ones didn't. I don't have that list immediately in front of me. Um, but some of the, some of the older ones, some of the ones that are a bit more of that like drive-in feel, are at the drive-in. And and again, I love that they are supporting the local drive-in. That they are partnering with them because drive-ins might not necessarily have the best image quality, nor the best sound, nor the most comfortable chairs, depending on how comfortable your car is. There, there's a lot of reasons with that I understand why people do not love drive-ins. But they are mm -hmm. such a unique experience that I feel like more people need to enjoy and appreciate them mm -hmm. to keep them alive. Even if they're not thriving, even if they don't come back into their heyday of, of uh, like a second uh, renaissance of drive-ins, they need to stay alive because that experience Absolutely. needs to be yeah. experienced. I can tell you what movies they were because they if you if you're on the letterbox list, you can if you do the expanded version, it'll tell you. So like uh, on Friday, they did a double feature of Creep Show and Fright Night. Oh. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm, Saturday they did Army of Darkness, Reanimator, and From Beyond. Um, uh, yeah. So the, those are the make through all of those movies awake, but fuck it, I'd fall asleep in my car happily. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So those are the those are the movies that I'll play at the drive-in. Yeah. So so again, some of the older classic uh, of fucking amazing horror films, being able to see those uh, at a drive-in. The image quality might not have been perfect, but man, I I would have, oh, I, I can't even say what I would have done to have uh, been able to have been there. Um, but but yeah, I, I love that they uh, that they partnered with the drive-in. Um, all right, so let's go ahead and start talking about some of the films that did screen. And uh, as I said, unfortunately, I was only able to be there for a couple of films. Uh, Eric wasn't able to be there at all, and obviously Dan did not make the drive down from Maine. Um, but because they did show a number of older films and because some of the films that they screened, we were able to catch at other film fests. There are a number of, uh, of films on here that, that we can talk uh, at least a little bit about, and then we'll spend a little bit more time talking about the two newer ones that I saw. All right. So, uh, let's get started with the fact that they started the film fest with a Fil- uh, Fulci trilogy retrospective with a secret screening so the people starting their weekend at knoxville horror film fest are like all right if you know fulci then you know what you're getting into but we still have a surprise because you don't know exactly what you're going to be getting into if you have never seen a fulci film starting the weekend off with like oh hey by the way here's some fulci hope you don't like your eyes (laughs) <laughs> and then uh just just as a quick uh, aside then they bookended the weekend by closing things out with society which is a film <laughs> yeah <laughs> so <laughs> and then they had a shunting afterward of course so they they fucking went for it <laughs> they they did have bumper stickers that i almost bought to send to y'all that said i'd rather be shunting but i was like you know what <laughs> i know eric yeah, would see, not I put this on his car go to like an after party after a showing of society i'd be I'd, i think i'd be like no that's okay Thank no you. I'm, I'm going home and going to bed <laughs> I, yeah i'm i'm, I'm a little worse maybe so i'm just going to go home thank you go home get some shunt time uh so yeah very sadly <laughs> I've not actually seen the three Fulci films that they started with, nor have I seen society, but I know enough. I I know I know enough about Fulci and I know enough about society to know what that experience would be like, especially with some of the, I have no idea what I'm getting into level of experience. I had my, my first introduction, my introduction to Fulci was at a Knox horror fest in 2018 because they played zombie in 4k um and that was the first time i'd ever seen a fulci film and it was just like a religious experience i mean like seeing that movie with like a near like with an enormous crowd of people yeah that is a great film to watch in a theater i imagine yeah it was (laughs) unbelievable like i'll never ever forget like seeing a zombie fight a shark in the ocean or seeing a woman get her eye uh you know just decimated by a splinter uh, and in especially in an, with an audience like that. I mean, it was unbelievable. Well, and especially because uh, that year, Elric Kane was there and he introed it. And anyone who has ever listened to um, uh, the colors of the dark podcast or um, pure cinema podcast, know how much Elric loves Fulci. And so to get that level of enthusiasm before watching zombie for the first time, yeah 
I, I even remember oh, the God. intro. Yeah, because he talked about that. What's funny is that he what he was talking about in the intro was how he met the actor who played Lloyd the bartender in The Shining. And he was talking and the, the, I cannot remember the actor's name off the top of my head right now, but um, he said that he was talking to him and the, that Lloyd the bartender described Stanley Kubrick as not the greatest filmmaker, but the finest filmmaker. And Eric said that Fulci was the inverse of that. He's not the finest filmmaker, but he's the greatest <laughs> filmmaker. And I just like, it's like I said, I will never, I, I forget like shit that I did probably this morning even. And I will never forget that because I'm like, what a great intro. What a great experience that was. It was just, it is seared into my brain. And I can, I can totally hear Lloyd the bartender saying that in like that, that, that tone. No, sir. He is not the greatest filmmaker. <laughs> Hopefully that's exactly he, how he's the been. finest filmmaker, you know. <laughs> and then he hands Eric an axe. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And like, that's the thing with Fulci. And that's the thing with Fulci is his films, not Joe always. Joe Turkle is the, is the actor. Joe Turkle. Mm. Okay. Uh, so, so, yeah, the thing with Fulci is like his movies are not always the best cinematic quality artistic things that you're going to see but they are undeniably like experiences that you will never forget and and i think that that is a vital component for people to understand with he might not be the finest but he's the greatest if you go into a fulci film with like oh well this obviously looks fake oh that that's obviously not like real maggots on their eye well first off yes it is they were <laughs> if it's fulci <laughs> yes it is but <laughs> But like, if you go into it with that sort of like hoity-toity, uh, like oh, well, well, I I need my fine cinema, you're gonna be missing out on on just what Fulci is able to bring to the screen in ways that it's not always necessarily about what you see and more about what you experience, and you experience what you see because uh, like the the scene that Eric mentioned in Zombie with the uh, with the splinter going into the woman's eye. It's not just kind of like, oh, here's an eye, here's a splinter, oh, now here's some special effects. It is, we're going to very slowly, very slowly have that head shoved onto a giant splinter. You think that we're going to cut the camera away because this is something that you don't want to see. <laughs> nope. No, yeah. We are forcing you to watch this the same way we are forcing this head onto the splinter. It is so uncomfortable and so just like, Ah, it's unbelievable. I don't I still don't understand how they just didn't murder that woman on screen. And I love how it's slow enough that it gives you time to look away and then look back like, oh, it's still, it's still happening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and the I don't know how they didn't actually kill her during that scene. Fulci has been on trial for his movies because of how real some of the things look. And it's like, okay, did you really kill your people? It's like, no, they're right here testifying that they're not dead. But yeah. Fulci has been those, on trial. Those Italians. <laughs> so the thing I feel like badge of honor for an Italian horror maker, horror filmmaker. I feel like you haven't been brought to trial, then you're Bush League. Right. <laughs> Get back to me when someone thinks you've actually murdered someone. Then you can do this film. I like to yep. think that, like, like I don't know. That's just it, it's so funny to think about too. Like maybe someone just sitting in, like somebody who works for the justice system or whatever, just watching every like horror movie they can think of to be like, all right, I'm gonna find a, an actual death in one of these and get the bastard who did it. <laughs> well, that so. is incredibly dark. Um, good morning. <laughs> somebody hasn't had their coffee yet. 
Oh, I've been drinking it. It's it's just uh, it's taken a bit to kick in. Okay. Uh, so yeah. So the three Fulci films that they started the weekend off with City of the Living Dead, Murder Rock, and The House by the Cemetery. And I hate that I had to miss these because again, I've not seen them. But like House by the Cemetery, especially, is one of just like those those iconic films that if you've even seen anything by Fulci or have ever heard his name mentioned in any sort of cinematic reference, like you hear talk of House by the Cemetery, um, mm. and and yeah, um, God, and and just the art, like looking at on, on Letterboxd at the, uh, the the poster art, those three films, um, there there's something special with mm-hmm. with what to uh with what to expect them so so yeah i i hate that i miss them um i do have the blue underground blu-ray of house by the cemetery that i picked up recently and very sadly have not had a chance to watch yet uh so that is very very soon going to be on my um on my to watch list uh in, in letterboxd the the tagline read the fine print you may have just mortgaged your life <laughs> got it so beautiful nice. okay that's amazing so so that was the start uh with with three fulci films giving people a just a, a hell of an eye opener for the weekend and then unintended Un- <laughs> <laughs> Un- very much intended and then they dove into the timekeepers of eternity which i feel like is a good transition for us with having just recently closed out our king series and one of the last episodes that we did that unfortunately both of you had to miss was uh the the timekeepers of eternity with guest andrew austin and this film we we talked about it on our chat film fest coverage but after having seen the langoliers for the first time timekeepers of eternity i appreciate the art even more with just just the amount of craft that went into creating it and the 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 level of time that was spent on making this thing happen and knowing the film enough yeah i I can't even imagine how long it took in person with all of those on the floor you know trying to figure out which ones to take out and well which ones still here's the thing about that um there's no way that someone could recut the Langoliers into Timekeepers of Eternity without knowing the Langoliers. Like you can't just watch that the first time <laughs> and have a really good sense of what to cut because so much of it is repetitive and so much of it is just long and drawn out that you might think, oh, well, I can just cut these 30 minutes here and no one's going to miss it. But you might cut out a vital piece of dialogue that then is relevant to another scene that you want to keep later. Or you might be cutting out uh, the different pieces of dialogue and end up making the movie even more repetitive. So I feel (laughs) I could be wrong, but I have a feeling that the director of Timekeepers of Eternity, uh, Aristoteles Maricos, I apologize for mispronouncing the name. I have a feeling that they love the Langoliers and like have a, a you have to be able to live with that for that long to do all that work <laughs> yeah exactly. god bless this man yeah yeah well and having just watched the langoliers it's not as bad as everyone says that it is lies it's only not because me. it's only because it of my head cannon it <laughs> it's it's only because when i watched it i'm watching it as a soap opera a very intentional satire of soap operas especially with the musical cues that they have. It's just, it, it's gotta be 
uh, a riff on soap operas. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's a nineties TV aesthetic. That's just how nineties TV movies were. Nineties TV movie that they said, no, you have to fill two nights. You have to, you have do to. Yeah. You all King miniseries or at least two nights do it. Or, you know, we don't care what you put on screen. Just do it. Just make sure you fill the space. Yeah. I disagree, but whatever. We're not getting back into that conversation. Uh, so I've I've been talking a lot about Langoliers, uh, and and uh, you know, as a result, also Timekeepers of Eternity over the last few weeks. But it's been a while since I've heard from the two of you on your thoughts on that movie. What were some of your thoughts from when you saw that at Chat Film Fest? Oh, I just thought it was amazingly cool. I really did. Um, it it made that story tolerable for me yeah that's that's incredible that's that's even more amazing than all of the work put into the animation i think is that they the they made the langoliers watchable go ahead Dan, sorry. It, it improved upon it without nearly the budget i mean i i can't imagine the langoliers budget was that big but they at least had money to throw something at a cg you know company and this guy was like fuck this all you need is paper and pen <laughs> <laughs> you you don't need you know video game like early PS one video game graphics to make this more interesting. You just need a pen and paper, and yeah, I I am really irritated that too. the Langoliers sits on my my Stephen King video shelf and not this movie. <laughs> like I just look at I'll the play Langoliers one day. Oh, yeah, I'm just like there's something better than you out there, and I can't put it here. <laughs> Oh man! If only, only Timekeepers could have somehow come out first. Well, they could have yeah. time traveled. If that could have come, come out, if that was the first. way, if that would have been the way the Alangaliers had originally been done, that would be considered like a cult classic. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing it's that's so amazing. Like, <clears throat> it's such a it's such a testament to like creative, like practical filmmaking, rather than. I mean, of course, you know, in the early nineties. I feel like a lot of people are jumping on the CGI train just because it was so new and different and it was exciting and it was like, clearly this is the way of the future. Um, but man, you watch something like the Langoliers and it, it's really difficult to wrap your head around how somebody could have watched those meatballs <laughs> chewing through scenery, <laughs> chewing through the, the dirt or whatever and think like, yes, this is the future of filmmaking. <laughs> Good work, guys. Good work. All right, so two things, well, three things. Uh, thing number one, I don't think that they looked that bad. Quick caveat, yes, they looked terrible in how they were presented, but the design of them, it, I, I liked it. It looked, you know, kind of like a disembodied head of a Demogorgon. The sure, design, yeah. I don't think was bad. I, I, I feel like, Nathan, you are missing out on your lot in life by not being a defense attorney for people that are obviously guilty. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the second thing about it. I feel like you'd, you'd be like, he might have murdered him. He might have murdered him. <laughs> but here's the thing. I understand okay, why you think this guy murdered someone. <laughs> yeah. Let, let me Hear tell me you out. something. <laughs> yeah. I feel like you have missed out on your lot in life by not doing this. <laughs> because this person looks like an asshole. The fact that you can even say, you know what? The effects aren't that bad. No, 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 no. I did not say the effects aren't that bad. I said the design, like what the creature looks sure. like. If it had, I don't know if that's really that much better. But well, here's the second part: the effects don't look that bad compared oh, to God. other. 
compared to compared to a twelve year old Dan's claymation version of this film, yeah, they probably wouldn't have looked that bad. But compared to I feel movies, like if you a couple cans of play doh, I could have done this. Compared <laughs> to movies that I have seen that have come out within the last decade, the 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 Langoliers actually look better then for instance the shark in nightmare shark so like there there are worse things that have come out since then uh that have less of an excuse at least with the timekeeper or at least with the langoliers it was long enough ago uh and then the third thing getting back to timekeepers of eternity because that's what actually matters when i was watching the langoliers uh i and and i was watching it through that soap opera lens one of the things that i thought was like the story itself is a really good story and it reminds me a lot of like a, to- a twilight zone episode and and it sort of like has that it, it it had that feel of twilight zone meets bad early 80s soap opera and so for timekeepers of eternity to make it black and white and to go even more stylized with it it really leaned into that Twilight Zone feel. And I think that that's part of why it works so much better is it gives you more of the feel of what the story, I think, is. Uh, yeah. and, and the ending, <clears throat> the the change in the ending from the Langoliers to the Timekeepers of Eternity makes it such a darker, much darker story in mm-hmm. a way that uh, I kind of adore. Yeah, plus putting it in black and white uh, saved him a lot of money on Color Inc., Yes, uh, it was practical I and like the budget. Yeah, <laughs> I wonder what the budget on this movie was just for paper and, and computer printer ink. <laughs> not cheap. He had himself a Staples account, I'm pretty sure, or whatever <laughs> is equivalent to a Staples would have been. Yeah, you know, I'll be like, oh fuck, here comes that guy again. He's gonna have like eight in PDFs to print out. <laughs> no. no, this printer's off limits, guys. Sorry. So, Sorry. Not that, no, the idea I that he's like going to a fucking Kinko's or something and printing these off instead of just doing it from home. Like, he's sitting in the lobby. There's self service machines printing out like thousands of pages of screenshots from the Langoliers. <laughs> All right, guys. I got to roll. This is a good place for me to roll out, though. So. All right, Dan. Yeah, I'm going to go eat some yep. time. Yes, Dan Dan has to leave us for a little bit. Eric and I will continue on for a little bit longer, and then Dan will be back to uh, help close things out. Once Eric is gone, this is a very disjointed episode, but it's okay because we're We're jumping in and out of time. Oh, it's like a film festival. You're jumping in and out of the things you can do. You can't catch everything. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Going to talk to people you need to. See you guys. (laughs) Going to take care of Aaron Jaff, too. Exactly. Um, All right. So let's. We planned it that way. Exactly. It's totally intentional. Not at all because of our restrictive schedules. Uh, so after Timekeepers of Eternity, there were a number of films that, again, unfortunately, none of us had a chance to see. They're uh, the newer films, uh, some of them features, some of them shorts. So let's go ahead and jump past some of the ones that we didn't have a chance to see um, straight to the first night at the drive-in with the Creep Show Fright Night double feature for two reasons. One, Creep Show. Well, for one, we've actually seen them. Uh, but Creep Show yeah. obviously <laughs> still has that Stephen King connection. And then Fright Night has the Tom Holland connection, and Eric, you let, yep. let's let's talk about Creepshow first because you okay. said that you have only just recently seen Fright Night, and I need your reaction to that movie. But let's oh, yeah, yeah. let's uh, let, let's transition from King first, and then back on that Holland train. So okay. Creepshow, what are your thoughts? Uh-huh. Uh huh. Creepshow rules. It is uh, as I stated in our uh, King Punch Out, one of the greatest horror anthologies of all time. Uh, I think that so much of 
modern day horror anthologies uh, exist because of Creepshow. Obviously, it's not the first anthology, but I do feel like it is, particularly for people our age, um, it's the most influential. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's one of the few anthology. I mean, you know, I feel like every single time I ever read a review for any horror anthology, um, there's always the caveat of like, okay, yeah, you know, I mean, you can't like all of the movies. And, you know, there's always ups and downs and peaks and valleys. There's some you like, some you won't like in terms of the segments. Uh, Creepshow is not like that. Creepshow, every single segment is incredible and wonderful and um it is such a perfect a perfect slice of stephen king and the influences the ec comics that influenced him as a kid and then later influenced him as a writer um yeah i i adore creep show i would love this is such a perfect drive-in movie uh that would be so much fun to see on a big screen yeah. You know, you've you mentioned a few times how like, oh, yeah, you watch something drive in. The picture quality is not great. You know, you listen to it through a speaker or whatever. Stuff like Creepshow and Fright Night, there are these kind of, you know, grungier, fun 80s comedies where like you probably grew up with these movies watching them on VHS. You know, like you're not you didn't experience <laughs> right. it for the first time with the best picture quality. So seeing them on the drive in, I think, is still a huge step up um from anything i mean just the fact that it's on a big screen and it's in like i've only been to a drive-in one time in my life and it was still such a fun unique experience that i it's such a shame that fewer people have the opportunity to do that yeah um and horror movies in particular are such a drive-in staple you know like the kind of b movies of the 50s and 60s or whatever were specifically made for drive-in audiences um so yeah, the fact that you're getting the 80s equivalent of those 50s B movies on the drive-in screen is is perfect. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, and, and and like you said, the horror movies are such a drive-in staple that picturing Creepshow playing at a drive-in, I could so so easily see a horror movie that's set at a drive-in that's having Creepshow playing in the background because you know, like it would be setting the tone, it would be setting the the uh, the, the, the environment uh, with it being an anthology. The director could potentially be using some of those segments as ways to, you know, like mirror what's going on in the story. It gives you some of that, uh, that natural, like, okay, here's the end of the segment moving on to something else. So like it gives reasons for why people would be getting up and walking around. I know that's not actually talking about the movie itself, but to, to me, it is getting at how great creep show would be at the drive-in because it just, it just has that feeling. And yeah, yeah I, I love creep show. Um, it, it is amazing. It is one of my favorite anthologies. Um, you know, when you said, Oh, most anthologies, people are like, you can't love all of them. I just think that that's because some people don't like to have fun <laughs> because <laughs> there, there are a number of anthologies that I think some segments are stronger than others, but of course, uh, who cares? Just have fun with all of them. But yeah, creep show. I feel like there are very few anthologies that I've seen where, um, where it maintains the momentum at the very least. You know, like especially as in it with your when you're doing an anthology, you know, usually that you're doing like four or five stories. You, a lot of times, anthologies are like two hours long. Yeah, and especially with a horror anthology, you're working within material that usually is like ninety minutes. You know, you're making a fun kind of horror thing. That's going to be a 90 minute because once you hit the two hour mark, you start to people start to lose their patience with it a little bit. I think I don't think you get that at all with Creepshow. Um, I think there are some other 
anthologies where you get that for sure. Yeah, like, I mean, I don't want to throw particular movies under the bus too much, but like the VHS series, the first VHS movie at least, like, I think that one is really fun and I enjoy all the segments, but I do think that even though I like all of the segments, I still usually want to watch them separately because it just feels kind of long at a certain point, you know? Yeah, and the momentum is definitely a huge part of it because, you know, like when it does come to anthologies, one of two things happens. Either uh, there's an attempt to have a wraparound story to where all of them like have to fit in together so that it is telling a larger story, but just in these different segmented pieces, or there is no connection and it's just, here's just an anthology of a bunch of different short films. Mm -hmm. And both of those can get a little bit tricky because if there's no connective tissue between any of them, then yeah, like, okay, once we're at 90 minutes, if you're tired of watching it, there's no reason to watch that last 30. uh, If Mm -hmm. if it's a two hour anthology, other than just saying that you've watched it. And if there is connective tissue, sometimes that pads the story in a way that doesn't always work. Like it doesn't feel like it's telling its own story. It's, it's just like, all right, well, here's some, here's some stuff that doesn't matter. Um, Wraparounds often feel like kind of the least essential part of a, of an anthology film. Right. Uh, And there are some that I think do it well. For instance, I love tales from the dark side, the movie. Uh, and it's wraparound mm-hmm. story, I think is just a, a clever way to, uh, that to one's have, great. <laughs> that one's so great. That's really great. Yeah. Because the, the horror shorts, the, the, sh- the horror stories relate to what's going on. Uh, I think cat's eye is another great one because the wraparound story, it, it is like, it, it doesn't matter. The wraparound story, the wraparound story isn't even really a wraparound. Exactly. It's just, we, we kick it off, we thread the needle and then have that just be the last story of the film. Exactly. With the, it's yeah, just, the, Hey, here's a cat. He's going to run into some weird shit. Yeah. And, but, but like they don't spend time focusing on it. It's not like each yeah. time the cat moves from one segment to the next, it's not a like five minute sequence. It's, you know, maybe a minute. It, so like it, it's done in a way that, uh, that doesn't feel like it's padding the film. For Creepshow to have the comic book as uh, as its way to connect these stories, not only is that a really smart way to be like, okay, well, there doesn't have to be a wraparound story because it's just a, a comic. You're just watching the stories in the comic book, but it also mm-hmm. like it gives you more of that energy. It does give you that uh, that sort of like EC Comics feeling of reading through a horror comic and wanting to read the next story because mm-hmm. you're like, yeah. oh man, this was so fun and so creepy. Uh, I'm not quite ready to go to sleep yet because that was a spooky story. Maybe the next one will be more fun and less terrifying. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> Even more terrifying. All right. Got to read the next one. And, and so just, well, and the bookend to, Oh God, no, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just gonna say the bookend of having it be like from the perspective of a child whose father thinks that these comic books are trash. With Joe, little Joe Hill and, and Tom Atkins is just so fun. And so within the spirit of, of these types of stories. Yeah. And then too, like, I, I don't even think I've mentioned this at all. Like, of course, Stephen King is very well known for his short fiction, you know, yeah. like, and this is him doing the cinematic version of that where he's like, yeah, this is just like reading a book of my short stories. Um, and, and much like, like, you know, when I read short stories, a lot of times what's great about them, what I like about them is I can just kind of pick up, read a little bit, get through an entire story, feel a sense of satisfaction and then I can close the book and move on and, you know, pick it up later. Like I can kind of go back and forth and, and still get an entire story. Whereas with an anthology, you know, like with, with Stephen King short stories though, there is a momentum where it's like, I want to read the next one as right. soon as I finish one, you know, it's hard to put them down. You don't always want to like stop. 
Um, and I feel that way about Creepshow too, where it's like, I don't want to watch it in pieces. I don't want to watch the segments on their own. I want to watch the whole thing. Yeah. And, and like the Stephen King short stories, there's not always uh, the same level of background and, and world building that he gives in his feature or in his uh, full novels that some people then try to infuse when they take his short stories and try to turn it into a feature film. And it's just like, okay, this mm-hmm. it feels like stuff is being padded on rather than feeling um, uh, yeah. rather than feeling natural to the story. And so creep show, it has all of those short story feels where you get maybe sometimes a little bit of a, here's some background or here's some world building, but it is straight to the point. So, you know, like with father's day, you get, a little bit of uh, you get a little bit of the background, but it doesn't matter. It's just all right. Here are these people, and then here's the uh, dad coming back out of the grave, and it's just spooky and all beautifully fuchsia and blue lit, and it is God. It's so good. Mm-hmm. I love Creep yeah, Show. That was incredible. We need to do an anthology series at some point, just so that we can like dive into all of the segments of all of the anthologies that we love. I totally agree, and I will be doing my best to uh, engineer that into being. Um, that's all I'm going to say about that. Look, if that is not in our uh, winter theme popcorn punch out, uh, I'm going to add it in because it would totally work with the 12 days of Christmas and having uh, 12 short stories. All right. Let's now transition. Uh, still keeping that Langoliers connective tissue into Tom Holland's fright night a movie that yes. i only saw for the first time maybe five or six years ago but i i loved it so goddamn much from the first time that i saw it it is amazing it is one of my favorite vampire movies uh i adore this movie more than i can possibly say <coughs> sure mm-hmm. a lot of it is just like the classic dracula story uh a, a, a lot of it follows the same um the same plot points but there's just something so 80s fun about it that um, yeah. it, it hits me in a very sweet spot that is hard to explain of just this is that nostalgic 80s horror some of which I grew up with some of which I did not grow up with because of mm. uh, you know not watching as much horror when I was a kid but it makes me feel like a kid and and I love it uh, so yeah. with that setup, Eric what were your thoughts of Fright Night the first time that you saw it yeah, I watched it like a month ago for the first time. Um, <clears throat> I uh, I really loved it. I I think it like doing like Rear Window meets Salem's Lot is such a smart idea. I think my um, my only my only cr- big criticism I have of this movie is that I don't really like Charlie as a main character very much because he's trying to get um, Chris Sarandon to stop biting people, and I'm pretty sure everybody just wants Chris Sarandon to bite them because <laughs> my God, that dude is so fucking gorgeous human being like the whole time i'm just sitting there thinking like dude we like we want this man to come by us like please stop stopping us and like stop kink shaming everyone who just wants to go over to chris sarandon's house and fuck him okay like <laughs> look not while he's a vampire though he's, he's got no, some of the no uh, no 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 i'm disagreeing look. with you i don't care whether you're a vampire <laughs> oh you mean like when he's like full-on like we yes. like scary vampire looking dude yes. i mean Look, in the heat of the moment, you know, if he's transforming like while you're in the in the throes of passion, you're probably not going to care that much at that point. You're already you're already fully in. So like I thought uh, I was supposed to be the one with the stake, but I'm dumb. Uh, Uh, Yes. So, yeah. But but seriously, like this movie is so much fun. And I do think that so often in vampire stories, the idea is that like 
you know, the vampires are so seductive. But a lot of times it ends up being kind of like the Dracula thing where it's like, oh, yeah, they're so seductive because, like, they hypnotize you. Right. You know, because Bela Lugosi will just kind of stare at you awkwardly until you give in to his demands or whatever, his, his <laughs> mental demands. And in this movie, it's like, I completely understand why people fall for this dude. Like, this movie takes a very long detour to have uh, Chris Sarandon dancing with... Um, uh, Amanda Bierce or Amy in the, is the character on and like a in like a nightclub, and it goes on for quite a while. And it's just like, yeah, I, I get it. Like I would totally, you know, they're trying to run away from this guy, and yet like she goes and like just like is all over him on the dance floor. And it's like I don't need, I don't even need the movie to explain to me that he has powers to convince people to do this. Um, yeah, so, did not expect to spend so much time talking about how hot Chris Sarandon, Sarandon is. So movie, but, uh, here's one of the things that I love so much about Fright Night, and one of the reasons that I think Tom Holland did such a great job taking a, a classic vampire tale, but giving you something different. Uh, in, in Fright Night, I feel like Chris Sarandon's character like wants to be out living and doing things and like like he feels more of like a mm. um you know a, a midnight socialite that just also happens to eat people but he you know like so many other vampire stories there's very vampire centric motives so even in Bram Stoker's Dracula like Dracula doesn't really do anything until he sees Winona Ryder and he's like oh Yes, I have crossed uh, the, the oceans of time to find you. Oceans so now, of time. Yes. Yeah. So now, like, you are my purpose, and everything that I'm doing is just to try to get you, you know, back in my life. So in, in a lot of vampire stories, you do have, like, that element of, uh, you know, there's, there's like, that lost love that he's trying to, uh, trying to recapture. Um, and then there's a lot of vampire stories where it's more, much more animalistic, and they exist purely to feed. So like 30 days of night, like I, I love that vampire yeah. movie, but it is very so much good. their animals to feed and move on. Sure. They're smart. They, they can carry on conversations, but they're not trying to exist. They're trying to consume. Yeah. They're like velociraptors. Exactly. Basically. <laughs> now I just need a vampire movie with Sam Neill where one of the vampires uh, shows up in a dream and goes, Alan, the but the thing <laughs> with Chris Sarandon in Fright Night, like it, it, it's been a little while since I've seen it, so I can't remember exactly how much. But it feels like Chris Sarandon is like out doing things, and you know, like he he comes over to meet his neighbors, sure to intimidate intimidate the kid, but it doesn't have that same sort of like I am only here to eat you feel, and it doesn't have the well I'm only here for a he, lost love feel. It feels like he's doing a little bit more. And even if it's not a ton, it gives more depth to the Dracula-esque character in a way that I feel like a lot of other vampire and Dracula movies do not. He's a bit empathetic, yeah. I mean, like, you, in the scene where he confronts Charlie, because Charlie's, like, really trying, you know, he spends so much of this movie being like, guys, there's a fucking vampire living next door to me. We have to do something about this. And everybody's <laughs> like, oh, you kooky kid. And then Chris Randon's like, no, I'm a fucking vampire. He's a fucking vampire. Yeah, he is. Um, but uh, <laughs> like when Chris Randon comes over to Charlie's house to confront him, he kind of like beats up on him a little bit, but he gives him, he's like, listen, I will let you live if you just stop. Yeah. Like just leave me alone. Let me be. I, you know, 
like you're a kid. I will let you, I want you to have a life. So just leave me alone and let me do what I have to do to survive. Yeah, basically. And then Charlie fucks around and then he finds out, you know, so it's, (laughs) but I also love to, what's, what's so great about the Charlie character is, is he's an eighties kid who, who grew up on, like uh, horror shows, so yeah, he has. He grew he, up watching whole, Fright Night, <laughs> like that. He that was grew up the name watching the, Fright Night, yeah, yeah, uh, with Roddy McDowell, and I love that. Like whenever he finally, like the police aren't going to do anything, you know, nobody's going to believe him. So like whenever he's like at his wits end, he's like, I don't know. I guess I'm going to go see if the host of this horror TV show will help me <laughs> because he was, you know, an actor, and he's basically Vincent Price, right? Alex Vincent, I think, or uh, Peter Vincent is yeah. the character's name. Um, and he's like, yeah, I'm just going to go see if this guy, he's like, yeah, you've hunted vampires. Help me out. And like, that's such a fun, like eighties kid thing to do. And it, and it allows this movie to be like about horror popular culture in a way. And just about the way that horror movies have an effect on us and the way that, you know, we, we turn to them in our time of need. Yeah. Well, and it's also just such a great, um, it's a great way to play with some of those like horror movie night host tropes where, you know, like there's, there are so many movies where the horror movie host like knows something that other people don't. And like they, they are attuned to whatever the supernatural is. And, um, and, and Peter Vincent, um, Roddy McDowell's character is just kind of like, no dude, this is an acting gig. None of this is real. Like it's, this this is a costume it's, that I put on, and it's just I, it's I, such a fun flip on the Van Helsing thing, yes. where he he's going over to um to uh Chris God I can I'm struggling with names Chris Randon's house just to make Charlie feel better, but he's thinking of it as an acting gig. Right. You know, he's like, oh, I will you know spray you with holy water or whatever, and or you know pretend to do whatever and. Then I'll be satisfied and I'll be able to confirm he's not a vampire. And then I'll get a little money because, you know, I'm about to be evicted from my house. And that's when he finds out, you know, I don't want to spoil too much if anybody hasn't seen this movie. But like, that's such a fun inversion of that Van Helsing trope where Van Helsing is the only one who knows what's going on. And in this case, it's like he doesn't believe it at all. And then he becomes the only other person who is convinced of what Charlie is saying. Yeah. And it's, it's the way that uh, the way that some of those tropes are inverted is, again, part of why I love Fright Night so much is it is taking vampire and horror seriously like this is a serious horror movie yes it's a fun 80s uh, vampire flick but like it is taking things very seriously it is not being presented as a farce it is not making fun of any of these tropes it doesn't feel like dracula dead and loving it which is a lot more fun than uh, I gave it credit for the first time, but I watched it decades ago. I need to revisit that one. Uh, But like, it doesn't feel like it's making fun of any of these horror tropes, but it does Mm. feel like Tom Holland is having fun with these tropes. And that to me is why it works so well is because it is again, just the, the the classic Dracula story of, uh, you know, Dracula moves in, there's a familiar to help get people. And then there's the Van Helsing esque character. There's the John Harker ish person who just wants to go Mm -hmm. and, and save his love. And then they have to stake them to free all the other vampires. And then there's the final uh, showdown in the, uh, in the vampire's house like that, that describes basically every single Dracula movie ever. Uh, and, mm. and most other vampire movies based off of Dracula was like, no, this totally isn't Dracula, even though we're doing the exact same plot points. 
But for this to follow those plot points in a way where it's like, okay, the Van Helsing character is just going to be like some old actor dude who's not going to believe any of it, but you're going to be on board with him and like at watching the movie, yeah. Uh, like you, you, you want Roddy McDowell to be real. You want Peter Vincent yeah. to actually know what he's doing about vampires because you want him to actually help. Yeah. And, and I just, I love it so much. It is such an amazing movie. Um, and also before we wrap things up on fright night, because we're not doing a full episode, but we need to soon all of Move these on, yeah. reasons of like how Tom Holland is able to take that classic vampire story, have fun with it and give us something amazing is further evidence for why I think that the Langoliers is a soap opera <laughs> that he is purposefully I, having. Fun I was actually with. going to say something about this. I think be, because Tom Holland is not a bad director. He's, no, he's not. He's, he's great. He's, he, the child's played as well. And like yeah. it's, He's fantastic. It's fantastic. Again, a very silly premise that he's taking very seriously. I think that with the Langoliers, it's a serious premise that he's taking silly. Uh, I think that he is. I think that he did. Oh, go ahead. (laughs) No, go go, go ahead. Because we have other things that we also need to talk about. I was just going to say my only evidence to the contrary is he does incredible satire, like incredible, incredibly fun, like, um, spoofing of horror movies within the Fright Night program in this movie that are just so spot on. Um, and I don't feel like that comes across at all in the likely years. That's because he's like spoofing kind a... Of styling. Well, that's because he's uh, satirizing a soap opera in Langoliers rather than satirizing horror. So I think that the... Right, but I mean, I don't understand the satire. I don't understand how it's a soap opera satire. Like, nothing about it reminds me of a soap opera. Oh, you uh, clearly have not watched enough soap operas. kind then. of over the top. The, the oh, acting I had soap operas all the time as a kid. The uh, you've not watched that recently. Then the acting is. We don't have time for this. We don't have time for this. We have other yeah, things no, we need fine. to talk about. It's just know that the, I'm right that the Langoliers is sure. not bad because it is an intentional soap opera satire. I'm gonna try also, to reach out to Tom Holland. And oh, oh, one other thing before we move on from Fright Night, the creature design is amazing. I love the vampire design. I love the vampire Fantastic. that's in the clouds on the poster. When that vampire shows mm-hmm. up in the movie, I still don't know how they did it because the person looks normal and then they open their mouth and, and it's been a little while since I've seen it. So Eric, since you've seen it more recently, maybe you can uh, speak a little bit more to this, but it doesn't cut away, does it? Like she's standing there and then she opens her so. mouth, right? Like there's not a, a, a break in action. I don't think so. I can't quite remember for sure, but I don't think. Like I, I, I could be wrong, but I remember the thought of how did he do that because it like it wasn't a cutaway or you know a close-up like there was no break in camera it's just she's there talking and then camera still there opens her mouth and it is just that horrifically grotesque you know like giant uh, great white shark looking mouth yeah oh so man i love that design it is ooh, gives, gives me chills of joy just thinking about it um yeah, it's it's a really fun movie. It's so great. I also really like the remake a lot. Uh, I've and I've heard the, seen that one. I've heard good things. Oh, it's very good. I, I like it a lot. But um, I also have heard that the sequel is very good. Like Elric Kane, I think, has like talked about how much people need to go see. You need to watch Fright Night too. Yeah. Uh, but but like even just looking at Letterbox, like I have a ton of friends who've seen it, and uh, 
and seem to really enjoy it. Like it's, it seems like one of those kind of underrated, you know, maybe it didn't get the same kind of uh, attention that the original did. And uh, it's probably better than its reputation would suggest. The, the uh, sequel or the remake? The sequel. Oh, oh yeah. No, I've, I've heard amazing things about the sequel and it is definitely, and it also uh, has Roddy McDowell and, uh, and um, the the dude that plays Charlie, I can't think of his name. Uh, a person whose name I don't feel like looking up because uh, William Ragsdale. Oh yeah, there you go, William Ragsdale. They're both in it. Uh, so, man, no, we, we I didn't love just even, the further adventures God. of of uh, Charlie and Peter. We didn't even talk about Evil Ed. We have to do a uh, we we have to do a series sometime soon to talk about Fright Night because this is only making me want to talk about it more and more and more. But we have more things to talk about, so let's move on. All right, next up we've oh, oh hey look Dan's back Dan you must have Dan. been you Magic. must have been super fast at those uh, errands because this is totally still the same recording and definitely not several days later several days I think it's been like two weeks. well I mean it's definitely not been two weeks excuse me it is definitely not been um, a couple of weeks since uh, since we started this episode. Uh yeah. <clears throat> so now that Dan is back, <laughs> now that Dan is back, we will pick back up with uh with Army of Darkness and Reanimator and From Beyond. Um, these we talked about this when we were talking about some of the other films that screened um during the weekend. You know, like with the Creep Show and Fright Night. How uh, it would have been so so much fun to actually watch these with a room full of like-minded horror fans uh you know especially some of these like playing at a drive-in these are just so much fun horror movies you know like these are the kinds of movies that that like i I don't know about the two of you but i get excited about sharing them with someone else eric i know you don't love army of darkness but it's still that kind of movie where when I get to introduce someone to it, it's like, oh man, you're going to love it. And it's just fun, you know, to share that experience. Um, mm. I, yeah, I've, I realize I'm in the minority and there are things that, like, I fucking love the skeletons in Army of Darkness. <laughs> I love them. I wish the entire movie was just skeletons uh, fighting each other and attacking people and just getting demolished. Uh, they're the greatest... Uh, I have some other problems with it, which is weird because I love every single other Evil Dead thing that has ever existed. But for whatever reason, Army of Darkness. I, I wish I had a chance to see this, this of all things because I feel like I need to give it another shot, especially in like a in that particular environment. I feel like I would enjoy it a lot more. So we might have talked about this last time that we talked about Army of Darkness, but is it the setting? Like, is it the the fantasy where you're just not as much uh, a fan of that? Like. Uh, kid in king arthur's court sort of thing or connecticut no king I, I love that court. kind of stuff or, or is it the fact that it goes like full-on three stooges slapstick and it is just it, it is just full-on comedy and silly and kind of abandons some of the, the the horror roots it's it's kind of hard to put my finger on it because i think that like as much as i love i love Bruce Campbell's three stooges stick i think he's <laughs> incredible at it I, as as a physical comic actor he's like practically untouchable um he's so incredible at what he pulls off and the effects are so great but it it almost feels like the movie is just so much more focused on like the technical effects driven stuff that it kind of loses i mean it is like i said it's even evil dead 2 is is much more of a comedy than evil dead 1 but it still has the horror element and i feel like that's 
mostly missing from Army of Darkness. Um, I also just, there's something about it that feels a lot more formulaic to me. Like, I really don't like the the uh, the female love interest who's basically just the prize at the end, especially considering it's M. Beth Davis, who's just incredible and is so underutilized in that movie. <laughs> um, I don't know. That really bugs me about it. Uh, I don't know. I really do need to give another shot. And I think it's just an incredible achievement. And I know that Bruce Campbell, like probably more so than any of the other Evil Dead things he's been a part of, went through absolute hell making that movie. Um, well, but, the thing know. is, and again, part of the reason that I hate that you had to miss uh, Knoxville, Horror, Knoxville Horror Film Fest this year, you need to see it in a group of, of friends. You need to see it in a crowd you need to see it with all these other people laughing at it and 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 getting some of that energy because it it is very silly i think the first time that i watched it uh it it might have been the first evil dead that i saw but i was a lot younger and you know it's it's just kind of silly uh but but i really enjoyed it in part because i love bruce campbell but um but yeah if you don't latch on to it the first time I don't necessarily think that Army of Darkness is the kind of movie that repeated viewings is going to uh, get you to come around and be like, oh, okay, now I get it. Like, I, I almost feel like you have to have that communal aspect. You have to start quoting the movie. You have to kind of get into that environment and, uh, and, and just that, that mindset. And then you'd be like, oh, yeah, okay, fine. I kind of love Army of Darkness. Because, um, you know, like most yeah. of the quotable... Um, Ash lines come from Army of Darkness. Right, yeah. It is weird how much of the iconography of the series comes from this movie in particular. Yeah. Yeah, like I, the- I I love it. Um, I, It's a shame that you have missed out on it, but maybe one of these days. Yeah, and I don't hate it. It's just, I think it was just a little disappointing when I finally got around to watching it. Well, any anything coming after Evil Dead 2 is is going to be a letdown. It's tough, yeah. I mean, the first two Evil Dead movies are both like absolute perfect movies in very different ways. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Army of Darkness is is kind of a lark. It's just a bad thing. Like, it's clear that they're just like trying to have some fun with it and not take themselves too seriously. But, um, and again, it is weird because it is like this incredible technical achievement, what they pull off with all the stop motion and stuff. Like, because I've I've read uh, Bruce Campbell's first autobiography, and he talks, he spends I think the most amount of time talking about Army of Darkness. Like I think it's the biggest chunk of the book, <laughs> um, and and yeah, just the the achievement. It doesn't. It's not obvious, especially in today's landscape when you're looking at so many movies that have such, you know, there's. Everything is a big special effects showcase nowadays, but to pull off that movie at that time really took a lot of technical wizardry, and it was a painstaking process. And yeah. I, I admire it, but I just I don't know. I just don't latch onto it emotionally as much as I do the other movies. The the thing about it for me, and uh, this can be the last thing because there's still a few more movies that we need to talk about. The thing about Army of Darkness for me is the original Evil Dead is amazing and it truly is horrific and even though i know that movie backwards and forwards i still get so tense when i watch it and like the the, very upsetting movie it's very upsetting the gore still works like everything about it is just like this is a perfect movie 
ignored where you can uh, see the seams ignored you know how low low budget it was it is a perfect movie it is amazing i adore evil dead evil dead 2 is also a perfect movie because it really strikes that balance between horror and comedy and they go for it with the horror but they don't hold back on the comedy and just that uh, the way that it's balanced and bounces off of each other is perfect and amazing and and i love it army of darkness is just fun like army of darkness to me is almost kind of like a rocky horror picture show-esque movie where it's less about the quality of the movie per se and more about just like having fun with it like army of darkness Mm -hmm. is a perfect saturday afternoon having a, a, a group of friends over you know, having a few beers, just like having fun with it, quoting those lines. You're not really paying that much attention. You'd step out to, you know, go do whatever, and you're not really missing anything. You know, I I, I love Army of Darkness. I think people do need to give it their full attention. But it's the most fun of the movies where people can just kind of like come and go. If I had people over to watch Evil Dead, and they were like, all right, I'm going to step out for a smoke break. It's like, no, no, no. You can't miss this scene. This scene's like... the skin's vital but they're, they're just sitting on a couch but you don't under, you've you don't understand dude you've not seen it before army of darkness if they're just like all right i'm i'm gonna go get a sandwich all right cool uh, hey the funny line's coming up so i don't know i love it but i can understand why you don't just because you've not had the right uh, the right atmosphere but i adore army of darkness it's so much fun you know what else is fun and also e- easily a perfect movie Reanimator? Fucking Reanimator, dude. <laughs> this I definitely agree. I adore Reanimator. Oh my god. Re- where where do we even start with Reanimator? I don't know. Didn't we do an episode on it once before? Like way back in the day? <laughs> uh, the, probably. We might have also covered From we, Beyond. I know that I've talked about both of these at some I've point. I've never seen From Beyond, so we did not. Dude. Okay, so. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so they're both Stuart Gordon movies. They're both uh, very loosely based on H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, They are both uh, Jeffrey Combs and Barbara Crampton, just, you know, 80s horror star vehicles, uh, you know, for the indie horror crowd. Reanimator is amazing. I I love this movie. Again, it's a perfect movie. It is a perfect drive-in midnight horror movie. It It is funny. It is dark. It is horrific. I love the fact that so much of the comedy, uh, like they weren't necessarily trying to make it funny, but then there were some elements about it. There was just like, no, the only way to make this work is to lean into the comedy. So like the part where uh, Jeffrey Combs is trying to get the head to stand up and it won't. And so he puts it down (laughs) on like that little ticket spike. Uh It's not necessarily trying to be funny, but the only way to really get that to work was to lean into the humor. And, and it's great because they're not like they're not playing it for laughs. Jeffrey Combs is not playing the role as a joke. He's playing it very seriously, which only adds to the humor and adds to how ridiculous it is. And, and it right, adds yeah. to the tension. I mean, the, the ending of Reanimator reminds me a ton of the ending of Pet Cemetery, And it just there's, there is nothing to not love about this movie. <laughs> the, the scene with the cat also is very pet cemetery esque. Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's it's amazing. The cover art is perfect. I I honestly 
I have a hard time trying to condense all of my thoughts about it because it's so amazing and I love it so much that I'm just kind of a rambling mess of, ah, this, this is amazing. This is awesome. It deserves a full episode where we can really spend time really digging into it. Uh, but trying to give a quick synopsis, it's just, it's Stuart Gordon, it's Jeffrey Combs, it's Barbara Crampton, it's reanimated quasi zombies using science. It is a, a head given love. It is amazing. It's <laughs> a head given love, yes. <laughs> <laughs> someone being strangled with intestines it it is just everything that it, it, anything that uh people like us who really dig into movies and really like love the analysis but also love the the ridiculous cramming yeah. as much of that as possible into a single movie and uh and that's reanimator and i adore it yeah no oh yeah and and speaking of Combs and Crampton and <laughs> Stuart Gordon, Dude. Eric, seriously, once we're done recording, go watch From Beyond. Oh, I know. Seriously, I I'm gonna say I like From Beyond more than Reanimator. It's it, it's a little Evil Dead, Evil Dead Two esque. It's fucking weirder, so I like it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know. I am um, for whatever reason. I don't. I don't know what it is that's uh, pushed me. So in this one, Jeffrey Combs is not like the villain, right? He's more of like the Bruce Abbott kind of character, the straight man. I mean, guy. Is that right? Oh, I mean, as straight man as Jeffrey Combs can get. Of course, of course, yeah. <laughs> for, for most of the movie, uh, yeah. th things happen that definitely affect his character. They, um, yeah, the, the so the the basic story of From Beyond is there's a scientist that is trying to unlock the pineal gland, but in the process, uh, kind of turns into a giant sex slug monster. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and so then the rest of the movie is about how like the the house is evil and haunted and kind of horny, and uh, this movie is very horny. It is so horny. <laughs> It is well. I, I wouldn't. I would expect nothing less. It is a, a little ridiculously horny. Uh, and it's got uh, Ken Foray as uh, one of the best named characters, Bubba Brownlee. Like, <laughs> didn't even try that. Art, I did not know that that Ken Foray is in this movie. That's awesome. Oh yes. Oh yes. <laughs> so, just a, a couple of quick things. Is it, um, so everything that I just said about Reanimator apply all of that to from beyond in terms of why it is hard to encapsulate all of my thoughts about why I love it into a quick synopsis because it's so ridiculous and there's so much going on that like I, I need a couple of hours for us to really dig into it and dissect it. Um, but yeah. there are two main things to, to Dan's point of it's a bit more ridiculous. There's two things that I want to highlight that th th these aren't even the best parts of the movie. They are far from it. But they are just quick little snapshots of what I love so much about this. The first one is um, at the beginning of the movie. There's um, there's evil science taking place inside of this giant mansion. And there's this lady outside walking her dog. And every single window in the mansion busts out. And then a couple of minutes later a character jumps out of a window and crashes through a window. 
So even though you saw every single window explode, there was magically an unexploded window for someone to jump out of again. Very specifically for yeah, for someone <laughs> for dramatic purposes, yes. <laughs> and like, I don't even think that it was like a continuity error of like, oh well, whoops, who already did that? I think that it was just a. Do, do you know that we already blew up all the windows, right? Yeah, who cares? We need a character to jump out of a window, but yeah, but we blew them all up. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. We need a character to jump through a window. All right. And then there's another explosion later and more windows blow up. Uh, so again, I don't, which is really just how movies should be made. Just <laughs> throw logic out of the window and always do whatever is the coolest thing for that, that particular yeah. moment. Yes. You, you, you go on the emotion, emotional rather than the logical. I'm all about it. And <laughs> I'm not even being facetious right now. I'm, t- I'm totally serious. <laughs> when you watch from beyond, remember that you said that the other oh, thing I'm- is towards the end of the movie, there is what I'm going to start referring to as a reverse Fulci, where there is a death scene involving an eye leaving okay. someone's body. <laughs> okay. It, that, uh, I, don't, I don't know how to feel about that. Uh, eye trauma is my, uh, my, oh man, I'm actually, I'm watching the, trailer for this in the background on, on IMDb and it's just the shit that's happening on screen right now is absolutely insane. Yeah. The, this and, oh, yeah. And, and you're going to see uh, so many forehead boners that uh, you're, yeah. yeah. That's what I'm seeing right now. Tiny little tiny little forehead penis. The, thing. There are so many moments in From Beyond that beginning to end I kept saying what the fuck like it, it's not like it got crazy and then it was just like okay yeah that's that's expected there were so many things that as the movie went on even with everything that came before it did not expect it uh it, th- there's a ton of like you know fuchsia and blue lighting it definitely feels mm-hmm. a lot more um it, it feels a lot more produced than reanimator maybe not necessarily more refined gotcha. but it feels more produced okay yeah the um the last thing about it i bought it years ago at a pawn shop just cause like uh you know i was rummaging through all the all the dvds picked one up and, and and it's the terrible cover so it's not the the awesome one that like has the face melting it's one that looks almost like a almost like a cyberman type thing where like there's a bunch of plugs going in the person's head it does not look it, it almost looks more like uh, the Mangler Reborn or Mangler Two oh, cover. Yeah. Oh no, I know exactly what you're talking about. They actually have it that that poster is on IMDb if you click through. Yeah. So that was the cover. And at first I was just like eh, and it was about to toss it aside, but then I saw HP Lovecraft. I was like, all right. Uh turned it over <laughs> and then saw from the makers of Reanimators. Okay, yeah, sure, I'll I'll buy it. Why not? Love to record so I, I had no idea what it was the first time that I watched it. And like two minutes into it, I was like, this is the best movie that has ever existed. Holy <laughs> shit. So yeah, it was almost a blind buy for me. And I have never regretted it. Uh, oh man, I even have a, uh, a pull quote from Roger Ebert on the uh, this DVD <laughs> that you have that says, the return of real fear, real depravity to the horror film. <laughs> Love that they use Roger Ebert for that. <laughs> it is very accurate. Uh, Dan, any other thoughts about From Beyond before we move beyond from it? 
No, it's just much. If you like reanimated, you're gonna love Fabio. It's just wild. Like you said, check logic at the fucking door. Prepare for just Coombs. Oddly enough, Coombs is the second hammiest actor in the film because the dude playing Pretorius is fucking insane, and I love him. Is it the Sorrel guy? Is it Pete Sorrel or something? Yeah. Ted Sorrel, maybe? Yeah, that's or, it. Yeah, Ted Sorrel. Yeah, he's... Oh, I didn't even realize the doctor is Praetorius. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Stuart Gordon just wearing his influences right there on his sleeve. Oh, <laughs> man. And, and, and I love him for it. And seriously, watch it. Watch it tonight. If you don't watch it tonight, at least watch it this weekend. I'll uh, let you borrow my, my DVD if I can find it. But it should be on <laughs> Shudder. It's got to be on Shudder. I think I have it recorded off of Turner Classic Movies. <laughs> <laughs> Because they do their like uh, mid late night weekend, Maybe. we show a crazy movie thing every weekend, and uh, they did From Beyond at one point. I wonder if it's unedited. Oh, it is. Yeah, TCM always plays everything unedited. That they have to do those at like two o'clock in the morning. Even so, that is a bizarre choice for uh, for TCM. Yeah, yeah. No, TCM they get some they get some real cool like midnight. Movies, but they played like uh, they've played a uh, fucking what's the twin brother movie? Uh, Raisin Dead Raiders. What? Uh, no, not Dead Ringers. Well, no, they have played Dead Ringers before. I don't think I don't know about Raisin Kane, but no, the one with the stick on you, fucking Belial. Oh, Basket it. Case. Yeah, oh. Basket Case. Yeah, they played stuff like Basket <laughs> Case. Yeah, they, they they get real weird on TCM. Dude, how do you forget times. Basket Case? I just couldn't think of the name of it. I don't know. I'm. It's it's getting late. I didn't take my medicine today. I'm a little. I'm a little loopy. That's fair enough. Um. Yeah. All right. So, so yeah. I didn't have just, Jack come in to tell me to take my medicine. So. So just so many wonderful like midnight showings, like pretty much all of their older films that they picked. Like, oh man, these would have been great for a midnight movie. These would have been great for a drive-in, which again, they did. Uh, and and yeah, th- that triple feature of Army of Darkness reanimated from beyond. I am so, so jealous for everyone who was there who got to experience that because especially if it was their first time, you know, like Dan, can you picture what it would have been like if the three of us could have been there and we had a chance to try to get Eric on board with Army of Darkness and then see his head explode when he gets to From Beyond. Yeah, it would have been. It would have been nice. From Beyond, like stuff like Reanimator and From Beyond, is the kind of thing where, like, I would love to watch it with a crowd because they're the kind of movies that, yeah, like I feel like usually you would discover them on your own at like you know midnight on HBO or something, and you're like, I can't believe that this exists. And I and like watching it with a crowd of people, with everybody just kind of looking around, like I can't believe that there are other yeah. people who are as into this as I am. I, I would love like a twenty-four hour movie marathon of nothing but Stuart Gordon and Brian Usna. That would just be like there, there's no oh, letdown yeah. from that. It's just like there's no ebb and flow. It's just all crazy all the time. Right? Yeah. How are they not in our theme punch out? We need to remedy that for the summer. <laughs> they uh, probably. Well, I don't, they, they must have enough movies between the two of them. Yeah, I'd say yeah, probably between the two, definitely between the two of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Um, also, the other thing about Reanimator and From Beyond, uh, in terms of like watching it with a crowd versus watching it on your own, watching it in a crowd 
you know that everyone is there to you know enjoy these awesome, uh, amazing, and classic horror movies. Watching it on your own at midnight, if your wife walks in at certain scenes, you have to explain the or you have to answer the question of what are you watching? Just nothing. No, that's, no I, I just was at that point would say never mind. <laughs> it's, it's best you don't know. Mind your business. <laughs> and if I remember correctly, there are even more scenes in From Beyond that would be very awkward moments uh, for yeah. someone to walk in with with no context. E- even more than decapitated head cunnilingus. Yes, that's, that's yes. even more. Okay, well, yeah. If if I remember Ooh. correctly, because at least that makes sense until you realize he has no body. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. At least that makes sense. From Beyond would be a, a perfect uh, – it would be perfect to round out a triple feature of The Fly and um, either Videodrome or Shivers, mm. and I'm not sure which one. You know what? Just, just make it a, a, all four. All of them. Yeah. yeah. A bunch of Cronenberg and yeah. a, bunch of, a bunch of Gordon. Exactly. All right, let's move on from a giant sex slug to a giant sex slug and talk about Eric Pennykoff's new movie, The Leech, which we've talked about with our uh, central uh, Chattanooga Film Festival coverage. But uh, it screened again at uh, at Knoxville. And oh my God, guys, this movie. I know we've talked about it before, but can can, can we talk about it for a a minute? Can we talk about The Leech? A true news. I feel like you're back anyway if you say no. So, <laughs> sure. <laughs> if you say no, I'm just going to mute the computer. I'm going to talk about it anyways. So, The Leech, directed by Eric Pennykoff, starring Graham Skipper, Jeremy Gardner, and Taylor Zotka. Like, this movie is everything that I have loved about indie horror over the last four years or so. Um, and, and it just, it hits me in a very special place. It's, it's Christmas horror. It is Graham playing very subdued until he goes crazy. And it is Jeremy Gardner playing very Jeremy Gardner at his silliest. (laughs) (laughs) It's Taylor Sadika, uh, giving her best. Oh, fuck you, Jeremy, uh, looks because the, the two of them are married and, they, they, they just have those looks down pat and there's so much personality in this movie yep. and I adore everything about it. I, I, I really can't explain how much I love this movie without giving more away about it. And I feel like it's the kind of movie that people need to go in with not too much information about it so that they yeah, can really experience the, the story as it develops. Yeah, no, it's it's genuinely one of my favorite movies I've seen this year. Um, I like, I truly think Eric Pinnikoff is the real deal, and uh, I'm just so excited for anything else that he's going to make in the future. He he absolutely makes movies that are just totally in my wheelhouse and like take all my boxes of things that I like with like yeah, Christmas horror and religious horror and Jeremy Gardner horror and <laughs> and of course Grab Skipper and Taylor Zotka, and it's just. It's such a great slow build to madness, mm-hmm. um, and it yeah, it's just it's beautiful. Such so great, like and I, it's going to be coming out in two more weeks 
on Blu-ray. Arrow yes. Yeah, that will be coming out very shortly. <sighs> yeah. Uh, and that Arrow Blu-ray will have the um, the commentary that they did at Chattanooga Film Festival. So, yes. yeah, that's that's something that everyone yeah. needs to experience because, Eric, you didn't have a chance to listen to all of the commentary from Chat Film Fest, did you? I listened to a little bit of it, um, but I didn't. No, I wasn't available for a good chunk of it. And you only had a chance to listen to the beginning part, right? Yes. Okay. It is very much Graham and Jeremy and and Taylor uh, and Eric like being very much themselves. And I think at times forgetting that they were doing a commentary and it's just like watching four of your closest horror friends watching a movie and and getting their thoughts on it. It is. Yeah. You you will feel like they are in the room with you. You, you will want to keep offering them a drink and like, oh, I'm just here alone. Now I'm sad. It would have been great if they if the progress of the commentary just mirrored what happens in the movie to a certain extent, where they're like they're all buddy buddy and you know they're they're having a good time, and then by the end of it, they're just like <laughs> at each other's throats, <laughs> just swearing and throwing things at each other. Uh, be great. Yeah, I'm I... glad you know all all friends and <laughs> on good terms. So can't yeah, be too bad. I... I, I love the leech. Uh, again, we saw it um, at Chattanooga Film Festival, and when it was first announced, um, I was like, "Oh my god, this is the movie that I am most excited about leading up to Chat Film Fest." Because we saw a Sadistic Intentions premiere at Knoxville at this point three or four years ago, when, whenever it was that Sadistic Intentions had their premiere. We saw yeah, that would be and, 2018, I believe. God, how has it been four years already? I know it's crazy. Um, but yeah, when, when Sadistic Intentions premiered at Knoxville, that, from what I remember, was easily my favorite movie of the weekend. I loved it so much. Uh, we had a chance to meet Eric mm-hmm. and, and Taylor and um, did an interview with them and, and really started diving in deep with it. And again, I love that movie so much. And Eric just has a way of he has a way of telling a story that I feel like most people can relate to. And then throws in just enough of the horror to really ramp it up and take all of the emotions that you're already uh, that you're already feeling and taking the the connections that you're building with those characters, and then just ratcheting ratcheting it up to where you're like, oh my god, how is this going to end? Because um, we'll talk a little bit about sadistic intentions as a way to talk about how he handles his movies without giving too much away about the leech, but in sadistic intentions the majority of the movie is just a meet cute. It is just Jeremy and Taylor just meeting for the first time in, in a, uh, in a house. So it is just the two of them Mm -hmm. getting a little bit drunk, maybe a little high talking about, um, uh, talking about metal music, talking about dreams and aspirations. And it's so heartwarming and you're connecting with these characters, but there's just a little bit of uneasiness because of other things that uh, that you're shown at the very beginning, but like you are on board with these two characters and you are mm-hmm. on board with their relationship so that when things uh, start going downhill, and again, I can't speak for everyone else, but for me, I was so invested that when things start turning towards horror in sadistic intentions, just about every single moment, I was like, no, no, oh, come on, no. Yeah. Because I wanted something else to happen. 
but everything happened exactly the way that it should have in terms of the ending is absolutely the ending that it needed to be regardless of whether or not it's the ending that I wanted to happen based off the relationship that the two had been building. It's the ending that the movie deserved in, in a way that again, is just so beautiful. And I love the way that Eric uh, composes his characters and, and really tells that story and is invested in the characters so that the yeah. horror actually hits. Yeah, they're very much his his films are very much character first, and he's so good at at really getting you on the side of a certain character and then twisting them just enough to where you you're constantly like questioning your allegiances to certain people in a way that that it, it genuinely like you genuinely feel for them and you you hurt for them in certain ways that. <laughs> Like you heard for them because of what's happening and also because of the choices that they make. Right. Um, because you want them to be better. Yeah. And, and especially because it's never just like a heel turn, you know, it's never like, here's this character you're on board. Right. Yeah. They're, they're good. You want the best for them. And then just all of a sudden they're terrible and the worst and evil. Like it's never just a drastic shift where you're like, where'd that come from? It's a, Oh, the decisions that they are making not only are revealing more about who they are and more about their past so that you're understanding a little bit more, but they're also decisions that make sense based off of the other decisions that they've made. So like in the leech again, as like things ratchet up. It makes sense why each bad decision is the right decision in that moment because of the other bad decisions that have led up to that. And you're like, well, yeah, I mean, what else is he supposed to do at this point? So, when things very quickly escalate, it doesn't feel like horror just thrown in for the sake of, oh, I don't know, we need people screaming and bloody for no reason. It feels very much like, yep, I absolutely understand why this character is doing what they're doing, even though I so disagree with what they're doing. And and again, right. just yeah. his, the, the way that he handles characters is something that a lot of movies are missing, in my opinion. Totally agree. All right. Uh, And then, guys, there was just such a wonderful Christmas triple feature, a Christmas horror triple feature with the leech, the woodsman and Christmas bloody Christmas. (laughs) Because, yeah, right after the leech, there was Kyle Kukta's The Woodsman, which we also talked about in our chat film fest coverage. But this this is a really fun horror short. I... I, I have so much fun with it. It's, it's it is just very um if if you've met Kyle, which I know that both of you have, like it makes sense why this movie plays out the way that it does with his love mm. for, you know, like uh like canon films and his love of older horror movies. And it's just it it is a very smart way to handle a minimal cast to where you're still getting invested in the character you are still on board with the story and then things get silly in a way that in, in just a, I think it was like maybe a 12 minute short. I'll have the time in front of me. In, yeah. About. Yeah. I think like 12 or 15. Um, but yeah. In, in a very short period of time, again, for me at least I was so on board that when things got silly, I was like, all right, yeah, fuck it. Why not? And, and I had so much fun with it, especially the ending. Um, it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. I know we've already talked about it. And I know sometimes you're just like, ah, we've already said words. What, what else can we say about it? But that's what we're yeah, doing. Yeah, I love it. And I, I hope he uh, gets to make uh, 
a feature version of it for sure. I think there's a lot to mine from that story. Yeah. I would mostly just be curious to see uh, if he is ever able to make a feature, how he adapts the the way the story was told. Because in, in the Woodsman short, it's just uh, the, the main character um, played by person whose name I do not have. John R. Smith Jr., I believe. Yes, John R. Smith Jr. So it's just John R. Smith Jr. as not only the lead, but basically the only character. And so the entire short is just John talking to camera. And so like all of the character development you get is single-sided. But but John does such a great job. And, and again, we talked about this before, but I feel like he does such a great job of playing that character and giving the right amount of pacing and the right amount of uh, emotional reaction to where even though you don't actually hear what the uh, the imaginary character on the other side of the camera says, you you can fill in those gaps. Like what he's saying and how he's responding, your brain fills in the gaps and you know exactly what's happening uh, with these characters and and again, John just does an amazing performance. Kyle does a great job yeah. directing it. Uh, it I, I think that it looked really good. There's a lot of humor thrown in, but without trying to without trying to make it too funny uh, and losing some of the emotional connection. And again, when it gets to the end, it is everything that I want it to be. And uh, it also, in retrospect, makes the. Uh, the poster for the woodsman that much better <laughs> right yeah it really does <laughs> it, it, the the poster has a very uh evil dead vibe to it as well all right uh let's move on to the main event and definitely definitely my <laughs> highlight of the weekend christmas bloody christmas <laughs> <sighs> yeah i'm so sad that i did not see this i'm dying dying to watch it it looks incredible well uh, um it it'll be on shutter soon it's not there yet i don't think um i don't, I don't know the exact no, date. i don't think so but yeah it, it, it is definitely going to be on shutter soon um but christmas bloody christmas is so it's a new film uh directed by joe bigos and if you've ever seen any of Bigos's uh, other films, especially his most recent outings with Bliss and VFW, if you enjoy his style, you are going to adore this movie. If it is harder for you to to get on board with um, with some of his visuals, if it's harder for you to get on board with you know maybe some of that unnatural lighting, there's definitely a lot of that at play. I think that people need to you know maybe check their brain at the door a little bit and just have fun with it because holy shit guys seriously christmas bloody christmas immediately became a well i must watch this every christmas mm-hmm. uh mm. eric you know this because you've known me for a few years dan i think you know this i love krampus like krampus is one of my top five i must watch this during the christmas season or i've done something wrong mm-hmm Christmas Bloody Christmas is right after it. So it is a every single Christmas. If I do not watch Krampus and Christmas Bloody Christmas, I have failed as a Christmas loving horror fan (laughs) is how much fun it was. It is just drenched like drenched 
in in magenta and blue and red and green lighting so all of you know that fun throwback uh, again like uh, magenta and blue uh, that you get in like a lot of michael mann films uh, a lot of the current indie horror films trying to have some more of that retro feel it has a lot of that lighting but then it's also christmas so you also get a ton of red and green and there are multiple scenes where like that's all that you have where it is just just again so overwhelmingly lit in a way that if you're a stickler for well wait a second where is that light coming from you you can't do that with this movie you just have to absorb all of these colors and absorb all of the emotion that it gives you because honestly when i was watching it there was not a single point where i thought well, wait a second. Where's that bright red light coming from? That that doesn't make sense for a bar to be having that much red and that much green. It's just like, oh yes, this feels like fucking Christmas. <laughs> I I love it. It is it is beautiful. Again, all of the that magenta and blue. It's I know it's a bit overused in uh in current throwback eighties you know horror retro movies, but I don't care. Like academically i keep thinking isn't it about time for for us to do something other than have these colors but then i see them on screen and it's like oh no because they're beautiful and i love them it's i i i it is so so beautifully lit um i said this when we did our maximum uh maximum overdrive episode where if bliss was joe bigos like working through his his creative demons and like that was his way of overcoming you know whatever it was that he was going through and you know he's he's talked about that on a number of interviews uh when when bliss came out about like how personal of a project it was and it absolutely shines through like when you watch bliss you're like this is the most personal movie i have ever seen all of that um like that that level of emotion but instead just hey friends do you want to make a really fun fucked up christmas horror movie like that is what christmas bloody christmas energy is it is him just having fun and uh, a, a lot of people have made the comparisons of it's basically silent uh, silent night deadly night meets the terminator or chopping mall and yeah. yes that is absolutely what it is but in a way that much like Stuart Gordon wearing some of those uh, influences on his sleeve, it is very much wearing those influences on its sleeve to where it's like, yeah, who cares if this just feels like Silent Night, Bloody Night in, in a robot suit? Who cares? It's fun. You have, <laughs> and I, God, I want to talk about certain scenes without spoiling the movie. Um, I just, oh, but, but I also don't want to spoil it for people. Say, um, it comes out December 9th. Just don't spoil it yet. Just wait. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I'm, close. So I'm, okay, close. I'm not going to spoil so it. So close. There, there are certain scenes that don't necessarily need like uh, the, the, the full video monsters analysis, but there's a couple of scenes that I'll be like, oh, guys, do you remember when this thing happened? Because it's funny. The uh, w- One of the things that I loved so much about Christmas Bloody Christmas, aside from just how beautiful the lighting was, I felt like these characters rang true you know like sometimes when you watch a movie the the dialogue just feels so unnatural or the characters mm. feel a little too stylized or they feel a little too idyllic these characters like the the entire movie i was like i know these people not because i actually know them 
but it was like yeah i i i, I could very easily picture people that i know in these exact roles having these exact same conversations and and none of it felt too stylized none of it felt you, you know like tarantino movies as much as i love quentin tarantino movies so much of his dialogue is like who fucking talks like that other than tarantino in his own mind no one talks like that yeah which is good i'd like to point out <laughs> which is a very good people thing should not always speak realistically in movies <laughs> but but there is something and and yes in some movies again like tarantino it works and and having that ultra stylization makes sense or uh or in brick of course no one talks like that but that was kind of the point christmas bloody christmas i feel like it needed the characters to be as grounded as they were and as realistic as they are because for me at least it helped me get invested in who they were whether or not I liked them, whether or not I agreed with what they were doing was irrelevant. I could I could relate to them because I could picture real people that I know having these real conversations um, with with very much the, the same tones that they did so that when things do go crazy, I'm on board with the characters and so therefore I'm on board with how crazy it gets because I care about what happens. Uh, there, there's also a few cameos by some of the uh, video monster uh, friends of video monsters uh, with Matt Mercer, Graham Skipper and Jeremy Gardner. All three of them have bit parts and all three of them. It's just, uh, it's, I, I can't talk about things yet, but it's so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> they play their roles beautifully is, uh, is all that I'll say. Graham Skipper is, um, I don't think I even knew that Graham was in the movie. I, I is, Matt and Jeremy were, but it is a very bit part, and he plays uh, kind of like the oblivious brother-in-law that's just kind of like, "Why is everyone being so loud?" As a giant Robo Killer Santa is right outside the door, uh, it's it, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> it's it is so much fun. I, I can't wait for the two of you to watch it so that even if we don't talk about it on another episode, I just can't wait to actually talk about it with y'all. Um, I, I was I was giddy through the entire movie. And yeah, when it comes out on Shudder, I will immediately be watching it as soon as my kids go to sleep. I just, I love it. I love it that much. It's it's great. Um, yeah, J- Jonah Ray is in it also for a bit part. Um, yeah, that's right. Just yeah. the fact that he made the Santa a Robo Santa is was a, oh, enough to like. It's like, oh, cool, Killer Santa movie, and it's like, wait a minute, it's a robot Santa, and it's like, <laughs> it immediately just escalates it to like, you know, a, a in, infinity. I don't know, I don't know what the math would be on that, but it escalates it uh, quite a bit. And this 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 is said pretty early on, uh, so this isn't really much of a spoiler. But the reason that it's a Robo Killer Santa is because it was, uh, if I remember correctly, like decommissioned military defense protocol that had mm-hmm. then been put in these Santa robots. And so, like, you know, there's a, a quick little news segment about how, you know, a, another one another one was on the fritz. And you're like, oh, okay, that's that's what's going on, is the military defense program uh, has, has these robots that there's a glitch, and now these robo santas that just go ho 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 now then go all silent night deadly night on people love it it is 
So amazing. Love it, love it. It's so good. Uh, all right. The the next movie, and uh, it, as I mentioned, um, very sadly, I was only there for two movies, uh, Christmas, Bloody Christmas, and Kids vs. Aliens, were the only two that I actually had a chance to see um, during, uh, during that weekend. Kids vs. Aliens, directed by Jason Eisner, is about a bunch of kids that are making like home movies of uh, like a planetary defense team going and killing aliens. And then there's like just a super douchey, like uh, an older bully that wants to bang the main kid's older sister, but only because he wants to throw a house party. And, uh, and, and so like, that's how he thinks that he can get into her house. So just like, Oh no, you're, you're totally smart. I love that. You like making movies. We're totally throwing a party in your house. And and then there are real aliens that actually come down and, and kill a lot of people. Um, it's kids versus aliens is a lot of fun. It's also a movie that I could very easily see a lot of people having a hard time latching onto. Um, but the reason that I could see people having a hard time latching onto it is actually something that I really appreciate about it. A lot of the movie feels like and I, i'm, I'm going to say this I, I feel like i need to give a preface i say this as a positive i say this as this was one of the things that actually brought me into the movie because i feel like without that preface it might come across uh differently than how i intended it feels like a bunch of kids making a movie about aliens invading and attacking a bunch of kids like uh-huh. the, the dialogue feels like what a bunch of kids think the cool thing to say is okay or like one scene spoilers minor some spoilers, of that, some I, more of that authenticity authenticity that you're talking about but no but it's so not authentic in terms of what people actually say but authentic in terms of if you had a bunch of like 12 year olds who made a movie this is like some of the stuff that they would think is cool so, for example, it's a minor spoiler, but whatever. There's one scene where uh, uh, where one of the bullies and this girl who is like way into him uh, during during the house party, like they're all drunk and you know, like kind of flirting with each other or whatever. And the the guy pisses on the wall of uh, of one of the rooms of the house. Okay. And the girl wants to hold his dick while he takes a piss because, okay. you know, like, like that's hot and, you know, they're drunk bullies, uh, but it's just like that. Okay. Nothing about that is hot, even a little. And like, that's not even like a kink that I think most people would have, but it's, it's the kind of thing where a 12 year old is just like, yeah, you know, like, he's got to pee like oh yeah she she probably wants to touch him while while he pees like yeah that they would both think that's super hot it's like that kind of thing okay does, it, does that make sense hold on this movie right now just throwing that out there say what <laughs> i'm not getting sold on this movie right now <laughs> i'm not choosing the best example of how to describe it <clears throat> But that was just one of the more trivial examples of uh, of how I feel like this movie is what it's trying to present, but it's n- not necessarily what people expect it to be. Uh, so 
I, up until recently, uh, totally before Knoxville Horror Film Festival and not at all between uh, the first time that we started recording and now, <clears throat> uh, the, the only Jason Eisner that I've seen is one of his segments in the ABCs of Death, but it's been too long since I've seen that, so I don't even remember what segment he did, and Hobo with a Shotgun. So... Hmm. Uh, you know, in, in actual time, I watch hope with a shotgun after kids versus alien in our distorted. We totally recorded this only a couple of days after Knoxville. <clears throat> I watch hope with a shotgun after seeing kids versus aliens. So going into kids versus aliens, I had no context for Jason Eisner's films and I did not know what to expect at all. After I watch hope with a shotgun, I was like, oh, this gives so much more context. And if I had seen this first, I would have had a much, much better idea of what it was. Not in terms of, uh, of style, not in terms of the, the level of gore or violence, not in terms of the level of, of language, but the way that Jason Eisner approached like grindhouse, uh, schlocky, uh, horror action with Hobo with a shotgun and some of the things that I think that he did right and some of the things that I think he really missed the mark on apply that to a kids on bikes fighting aliens style movie where it's like mm-hmm. some things are just like oh okay yeah I really like what you're doing there I totally see your style and and I'm on board with it I like it you're, you're doing some fun stuff here but then some other things that almost feel a little bit more, it feels a little bit more like a trope for the sake of a trope rather than understanding the role that that trope plays and, and utilizing it in a way that actually builds on the movie. Mm-hmm. I know it sounds like I'm knocking the movie. I'm, I'm not. I, I really had a lot of fun with Kids versus Aliens. But again, I can also understand why people would have a much harder time connecting to it. Um, yeah. Like so so like the bully is such a fucking dick. Like <laughs> not just like a oh yeah, he's a bully. Like like he straight up wants to murder children. It's like an 80s bully. <laughs> worse. Worse than an 80s bully. Worse than the bullies in Stand by Me. Because at least Stand by Me somehow it makes sense or you know like Kiefer Sutherland is you know, like such a greaser and such a bad boy that it feels like, okay, this is not the type of person that would be in an actual school caring about people having real friends. But the bully in kids versus aliens is like the football player. And so like, it's, it's just such a weird mixture of uh, again, like, okay, so you want to murder kids, but you're also the football player, but you're, also kind of like the weird goth stoner dude i just you're you're mixing too many types of people into a single one and it so there are just a few things about it that again didn't quite land unless you view it as this is kids making this movie not saying that jason eisner is a kid but with the the context of the, the, the plot is a bunch of kids are making a movie about aliens attacking. 
then in their movie, the bully, of course, would be all the things that they hate about older kids who do drugs and are football players and are bullies and are this and are that. It makes mm-hmm. sense why the main bully would be like all of that condensed into one. Does that okay. make a little bit more sense? Um, I guess so. <laughs> People are complicated, right? They're trying to make a complicated character by adding, give, <laughs> giving them all. Like that's the thing is he's the the bully is so one note that it's not complicated. It's just it's just a lot of notes. Yes, being played uh, very erratically rather than in concert with one another. Yes, and and and, and again it. It works if you like Jason Eisner's other films. If you saw Hope with a Shotgun, you're like, oh man, I love this sort of... I haven't seen anything from him before. (sighs) Okay, we're not going to talk about Hope with a Shotgun on this episode because I have too many thoughts and we would almost need at at least half an episode to dissect it and talk about the things that I love and the things that I think really miss the mark and why it is a difficult film. Um, Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Um, but if, if you watch Hobo with a shotgun and, and approach it from, uh, okay. Then, then if you watch kids versus aliens, you're like, oh, okay, right. So it's that, but kids on bikes. Cool. Got it. Um, but, but yeah, I, I had a lot of fun with it. Um, I think Eric and Dan, that both of you should check it out. Okay. You sound hesitant, but, uh. I will. I will. I, I mean, there is recommendation. People wanting people to hold dicks while peeing. So, I, mean, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's really a thing that I have always wanted to see in a movie. Yeah, fair. So I, I've I've been waiting for Scorsese to work that into a movie at some point. <laughs> so I'm, I'm glad it's here. <laughs> Jason Eisner beat Scorsese to the punch. <laughs> yeah. Look, <clears throat> when you get to that scene, just remember. Oh, right. What kids think high schoolers think that sex is like that's that's kind of the feel i mean that sounds like a thing high schoolers would probably do anyway yeah well sure um sure but yeah kids for aliens <laughs> it it was a lot of fun uh but but i do think that you have to have a very specific um you, you have to have a specific mindset going into it and knowing what kind of not of plot-driven film, but what kind of style you're going into. Um, but if you're on board with that, then then I definitely think it's a lot of fun. Okay. I'll definitely check it out. All right. We've only got two more to talk about, and one of them we already talked about a little bit uh, at the start of the episode. Say <laughs> We're close to midnight, guys. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We've, we've also already talked about this next one. Something in the dirt. We've already done a full episode we don't have to spend much time talking about it. If you want our full in-depth analysis on something in the dirt, go back and check out episode. I'll look up what number episode that is. in the second, um, yeah, go back and check out our something in the dirt episode where we spend a couple of hours, just, just gushing about how much we love this movie. Benson and Moorhead do amazing work every single time that, that I watch it. Uh, Cause you know, it, it, it screened uh, at Chattanooga. It screened at Knoxville every single time that I watch it, there's just more and more and more that, that you can really uh, uh, dig into and, and, and get out of it. It is, it's such a great movie. The, the poster art is also just, it, it is haunting 
every every time that I look at that big like cosmic eye, I feel like it's staring me into my soul. It is <laughs> great poster art. The performances are amazing. Just the sheer fact that um, uh, Vincent and Moorhead and Dave Lawson were like the only three people making this movie in the middle of a pandemic and the way that they got around, um, not got around, but the way that they made this movie within the confines of all of those restrictions and just all of the, uh, the ways that they approach this film. It is amazing. And, and I adore it. I it is a great film. Um, I don't want to say that I think that it's Benson and Moorhead's masterpiece because I feel like they are only continuing to grow. Like, I, I feel like if I said this is their masterpiece, that means I think they've hit mm-hmm. their peak and I don't know if they're going to top this, but it just feels like each movie where they are able to be fully themselves and fully invest their creative energy and really, really make the movie that they want to. I feel like they only get better and better and better. And, and yeah, like I, I want to see what they do next. I want to see um, where they take their expanded micro universe from here because it is it, it is only more and more fascinating every time that i watch it in any yeah, other totally story. agree uh it's it's probably my favorite film of theirs and it's one of my another one of my favorite movies of the year that i've seen so far um i think it's really terrific and i'm jealous of uh all the people who got to see it in a theater on the big screen <laughs> yes um and we we covered our four review back in episode 330 so about 50 episodes 330 yeah i looked it up and uh forgot to mention it so yeah about 50 episodes ago uh we spent a whole lot of time really really geeking out over uh all of the little hints and clues and uh mcguffins and misdirections that they put into it and 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 everyone needs to see it. Everyone needs to see something in the dirt. Not everyone's also, gonna God, love it. How was that fifty episodes ago? <laughs> done. This year. <laughs> Jesus Christ, we do too much. <laughs> that's I don't even understand how that's possible. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> we have done a lot of episodes. Um Yeah, that was that shit, that wasn't even January. Our, our no, first it was, it was March. It was like March when we did. <laughs> our first episode of the year was three nineteen. So yeah, we've we've done uh sixty episodes. No, three nineteen, oh. seventy. We geez, we are pushing seventy episodes for this year. That is uh, a whole lot of a lot of words. Yeah. Well we there are a lot of uh, a lot of interviews and stuff in there too that you kind of did on your own. So <laughs> <laughs> that explains it. A lot of chat film fest coverage. Anywho, something the dirt is amazing. People who, uh, who haven't seen any of Benson and Moorhead's other films, uh, Resolution, Spring, The Endless, um, Synchronic. Uh, I feel like I'm forgetting one. Am I forgetting one? Uh, am, am I forgetting anything non-Marvel? Spring, Synchronic. The Resolution, Synchronic, The Endless, Something in the Dirt. Yeah. If you've not seen any of those, go watch all of them. Uh, we, we also did a review on Spring a couple of years ago. Yeah, years that was ago. like the one of the last episodes we did pre-pandemic. Yeah, <laughs> good times. Uh, hey, speaking of... Uh, I have no good transition, um, but I just also don't have anything else to say about something in the dirt without rehashing things that we've already spent hours talking about. So... Let's close things out. 
in the most disturbing and also the most appropriate way. Knoxville Horror Film Fest ended their weekend with society. <laughs> Followed by a shunting. <laughs> oh, wait, no, no. Shit. Uh, I hate that that is what reminded me, but we forgot something. We, for- we did forget something. We I was forget- about to say. Yes, yeah. we forgot something before we talk about society, which is really just going to be society. Still haven't seen it, but I know too much about it and know how disturbing it is. And again, <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> You're right. I don't know how disturbing it is. I I have an inkling of how disturbing it is, and I hate that I was not in a theater to experience that for the first time with a bunch of other people who probably also hadn't seen it before to have a whole lot of that. I would I would love to see that in a crowded theater just to hear. I I, I would just I would want to get like a folding chair and just sit in the front and watch people watch. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, the the fact that they started their weekend um, with a, a Fulci triple feature and then ended it with society. And and then like in the middle had a couple of, you know, very, very highbrow, very artistic, incredibly well done horror movies. Like just the, 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 the entire breadth of films that Knoxville shows, I adore it. I love that it's not just classic horror. I love that it's not just modern uh, slasher and gross out horror. I, I love how much variety you get in such a, a short period of time. And I, yeah, th- this one weekend, um, the, the films that are shown during Knoxville horror film fest are enough to keep you going for several months worth of man. These are some great movies that I need to go and not only rewatch them, the ones that can be rewatched because they're already, uh, in, in circulation, but I also need to like watch even more, you know, like people who had never seen a Fulci film to get a triple feature at the start of the weekend. I, I, there, there have to be a number of people who are like Fulci is now the greatest thing ever. I must watch all the Fulci. Mm. And if that's what this weekend did for someone awesome people who watch fright night and are like, wow, the vampire movies can actually be good what other 80s horror vampire gems are there i must watch all of them uh stuart gordon sure made some fucked up movies i must what he has one about killer dolls amazing i must watch so yeah the and then it was all ruined by society at the end they're like (laughs) i never want to watch one of these movies again then they watch society and it's like oh now i understand why not to vote republican uh, so there, there is so much <laughs> going on in all the films that are shown. And again, I love the variety. Uh, but yes, there, there is one thing that we, uh, that we almost forgot to talk about because it's not actually in their letterbox list, but they did the, uh, Lenanothon showing all of the works of Brian Lenano. And I love Brian Lenano. I love his films. Uh, again, we got to see that at the Chattanooga Film Festival, and mm. um, and w- when I first watched the Lenanothon, I had seen a number of his shorts, but watching all of them in, in rapid, every color, in every color, <laughs> look at my shorts. We're never gonna move past that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, watching so many of his short films in rapid succession and. And and just fully engrossing myself into the genius and madness that is Brian Lenano. 
I my my appreciation grew exponentially with all of his short films. And yeah, it was really see. It's fun to see them all in succession to kind of track his growth as a filmmaker and see his his entire oeuvre. Yeah, back to back like that. <laughs> Especially because again, you get things like William with a little blowjob demon. And then you have um, Crowhand, which is just bizarre and so silly, but also some stuff going on there. And 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 the way that Brian, because uh, you know, and I, I did an interview with him uh, about the Lenanathon, where I got to ask a bunch of questions about, like, all right, so in this one, what's going on here? And was I right about this? And so much like uh, Eric Pennykoff, Brian Lenano has fully developed characters. So for example, in Crowhand, there is an entire backstory of those two people and what they are doing and why they are going to the store and uh and why they're wearing the clothes that they're wearing and what they're about like yeah. he has all of that and to me it actually came through because a, a number of things that was like hey was it blah 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 and blah he's like Actually, yes. So the the fact that he approaches these not just as a, hey, here's a silly premise, but here's a silly premise within the context of a bigger story. You don't need to see the, the, the rest of the bigger story. I'm just going to show you this one snapshot of this bizarre story because that's all that you need to be enticed. And, mm. and he is so very true. Yeah, he's able to. He's really good at just visual storytelling. Like, there's a lot you can tell about the situation that you've jumped into, like subconsciously. You know, whether you're fully consciously aware of it or not. Like, I think that those little details are are easy to uh, easy to spot. Yeah, I don't know. Like, you 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 feel it. I can't talk tonight. I'm sorry. <laughs> you definitely feel feel those details, and it, it fills in the world. It makes it easier to to connect with. Yeah. And, and especially because, again, like it, it helps you connect because you know that Brian is invested in his, in his work. He's invested in his films. It's not just yeah. creating content for the sake of content, which <laughs> very, very specifically uh, phrasing it that way because his newest short, uh, which was a secret screening after the Lananothon of content, the lo-fi man. It's great. Uh, it's fantastic. Uh, yeah, I um, there are no two words that like set my teeth on edge quite like uh, content creator. <laughs> like it drives me bananas when people refer to themselves as content creators, and I'm like, that just that's just so depressing to hear. Yep. Um, and Brian Lenano made an, an entire short film about this idea and the way that uh, the way that we now treat uh filmmaking as just content creation if we regurgitate things back into the we take actual art and regurgitate it back into the ether in the name of like oh yeah we're just trying to create some content for someone to mindlessly plug into their eyeballs while they're also surfing social media or whatever like yeah, and part of it is set in like a almost like 1984-esque uh, dystopian. Everyone is wearing just solid gray, and it's all dark and gloomy. And there's a sign on the wall that says, be content with content. Yeah. And <laughs> there's, 
I I didn't have a chance to I did not have a chance to talk to Brian about this, but I guarantee you, like I I am willing to put real money down that all of this started because he was getting a flood of emails of hey caught your short film at blah 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 I'd, I'd really like to collaborate with you if you'd show me some content like I guarantee you that he was just getting a bunch of emails of like influencers or why don't you bring your short over to my new platform and be some of my content on my new content platform I I guarantee you that's what uh, kicked all of this off yeah and it's, it's just so pervasive in pop culture nowadays too where it's like it's with streaming services constantly just dumping shit out there and not really promoting it and not really giving them proper releases. And it's like, yeah, we just need to keep flooding our feeds with stuff. So you'll keep paying us money to again, mindlessly devour whatever shit we're shoveling down the conveyor belt. Yeah. And, and, and again, just like the way that the way that art is, Art is still very important, and there's still a lot of really great artists out there. But there are so many other people out there who do treat art as just content, or it is, like you said, just something else mindless to be shoved into one of your orifices. Um, but, you know, like e- even with the podcast, like I, I don't think the two of you get this as much, um, but through a number of my social media uh, platforms for the podcast, I will get some of the, hey, you have some really great content. Keep up the good work. I'm this jewelry creator, and I think that we could really collaborate. It's like, no, we fucking <laughs> can't. I am not going to wear your goddamn puka shells as I'm sitting here talking about whatever. And it's just like... <laughs> you- it's great advertising, too. For, for uh, Don't say no. They, they might be able to make a shunting necklace. I'm, don't rule them out. <laughs> really see what they can do. Yeah. <laughs> But like that's the thing is if it was someone you know like if it was some um, you know like really low uh, really independent uh, like horror shirt creator where is like hey I legit love y'all's work and that episode where you talked about blah 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 dude we have the shirt for you I want to send this to you just because it's fucking awesome I'd love to clap like something like that where it's clear that the person actually invested in you know, in, in listening to to the podcast and is legitimately like, you know what? I think that this could be a, a good partnership. I think that we could really do something here. Hey, that's awesome. But like yeah, all the ones, free stuff. that's not what I'm saying. What I'm that, saying is, all I'm saying. The, I mean, yes, also send us free stuff. No, all the ones that I'm getting are like, whatever, like here's the suntan lotion. I think that we should collaborate. Like, do, do we look like we go out in the sun? It's uh, just so <laughs> much where it is just, you know, like spammed content, content, content. Mm-hmm. And and again, I only experienced that a little bit. I can only imagine with as many film festivals as, as Brian has submitted to with as uh, much as he has out there. I can only imagine how frequently he gets stuff like that. And and, and again, the, the content, the lo-fi man it is such a brilliant short because I think that it is first off hilarious. Um, I think that it is technically incredibly well done. 
I think that there is a, a ton of just very biting satire and uh, critique of the, the modern state uh, or the current state of art and, and content and film and movies. Like it is a really dense short that we could easily, easily do a 45 minute episode on really digging into it. And, uh, and again, like all the things that you've already started to bring up, there's so much that we can discuss with it. But aside from like just the the sheer level of analysis that we could put into it, it also is just really funny. Uh, the the fact that it starts out with Brian on screen talking about uh, um, is it uh, Tetsuko with the Iron Man? Is that Tetsuo? Tetsuo. Yeah, okay. So when he starts out talking about Tetsuo the Iron Man, and then a couple of sentences <laughs> in, you get almost like a Charlie Brown voice, like, and it's like, yeah. Uh, uh, Okay, yeah, we can do that. And then, you know, like it, it cuts over to the new and improved Brian. Well, and you get a single tear. <laughs> you get a single tear running down his face. And then it kicks over to the new and improved Brian. And and he is just like so, so YouTube-y, you know, where like everything starts out with smash that like button, ding, 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 ding. And it's so. Yeah, the burr, 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 burr. Like it is. very overproduced sound effects, crazy. Yeah, the kind of stuff. That, ugh, my kids love YouTube and I try to keep them off of as much as possible. But every now and then I'll like kind of watch what they're watching. And it's like everything is so like made for ADD kids to just like there has to constantly be some kind of like zoom effect or like graphic popping up on the screen and it's just like no wonder kids are so addicted to this shit because it's constantly like flooding them with dopamine and yeah it's it's crazy it's yeah. crazy how that's just like totally fucking destroying our brains <laughs> and our ability to pay attention to anything yep i have an entire side complaint about blippy but we're gonna leave that here oh boy oh boy oh i got oh boy i got so many complaints about blippy <clears throat> it's just so annoying. Um, anywho, so, so yeah, content, the lo-fi man, it, it is, I, I, again, Brian does amazing work. I loved content. It was so good. I, I love content. <laughs> I love content. I want more content. <laughs> I, I want more content from Brian. Brian, I hope there's more some content. more content content like he needs to make the content shared universe or whatever cinematic universe. <laughs> I it could fit in the BFF girls universe. Sure. Yeah, definitely. There's there's some definite. There's some very clear connections there without saying too much. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, there, there's a few scenes that uh, I keep wanting to move on, but then I keep thinking about them. Uh, and I don't want to spoil anything, but the one scene where the girl is doing the social media and uh, how she how she is holding her phone and what is happening behind her, mm-hmm. it's um, it's it, it's good. There's there's a lot of really really funny uh, horror mixed in with uh, I feel like some very biting satire and biting criticisms of um, of, of modern content creation. Because content, content, sure. content, content. For sure. So let's finish our content talking about the content of society. 
I've not seen it yet, but it's bizarre. And and yeah, so that's how people ended their weekend with uh, with some shunting content. Yeah, and didn't they have bumper stickers that said like "I'd rather be shunting"? Yes, they did. Which yes, yeah, <laughs> fantastic. Unless they've sold out, are available on the uh, Knoxville website. So go to centralcinema865.com and uh, and you yourself can get a "I'd rather be shunting." Bumper sticker. Dan, how many times have you shunted in your life? Oh, I mean, after a while, <laughs> all the shunts just blend together, so it's hard to. Actually <laughs> it's like tattoos when when they if you get one or two here and there, and then you start to connect them. Is it one tattoo or many? So I mean, <laughs> now like it's just one big shunting. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's that's fantastic. Yeah. I have nothing uh, to add to that. That's <laughs> so they uh, centralcinema865.com. They do still have the I'd rather be shunting bumper stickers available. They also have their Fulci lives tea, uh, naturally with the blood coming out of his eyes. They've got some enamel pens. Um, so, so yeah, go, go to uh, centralcinema865.com and buy some things. I, I guess the only other thing I will add is uh, we were talking earlier about like you know watching movies late at night and having people walk in on them and I feel like the <laughs> ultimate version of that is society. Like, oh, that's why I watch Saturday movies. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, like what a I can't like just imagine what people would think. Also, I'm so distracted right now by Dan's cat in the background. <laughs> He's so moving around. <laughs> Uh, stuff there. It's got a little cat uh, castle uh, scrap <laughs> thing, and the cat just keeps like standing up and moving around. And uh, yeah, she has she has come down for the first. For, she is now a downstairs cat. She has has discovered the rest of the house, and she has claimed that over the other cat, and the other <laughs> cat will be around here somewhere to hiss at her and jump up at her. Yeah, it's now currently climbing down. Uh, this is just this is great. I feel like love it's it. going to attack Dan at any moment. Gotta love oh, yeah, she's gonna gonna oh, she's <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like she, the cat just jumped up on Dan's shoulders <laughs> and is now standing directly into in his camera looking yeah. at it. Like, yes, you called. You want more cat content? Yeah. Church is fucking fearless. <laughs> never be enough. Uh, never enough cat content. Eric, I believe that never. that would be cat tent. Cat tent, yes. Uh, the cat is now showing us its asshole. So uh, the <laughs> I do. <laughs> oh, now she's just laying across my arms. Yep. Uh, if uh, if we ever actually open up like a video monsters production studio, I feel like there's going to be uh, several cats running around. It'll be a cat cafe. <laughs> It'll suck because I'm allergic to cats. So. Uh, oh, I am too. But I mean, that doesn't stop me. Well, Andrea is as well, but she's actually, this one seems to be rather hypoallergenic somehow. You just take some Zyrtec and wash yeah. your hands after you pet them and, and it's good. Yeah, sure. Or we could just have, you know, some uh, some, some dogs running around. Dogs to kill cats? That's no, weird. not to kill cats. <laughs> to have them instead of cats. Oh, I love cats and dogs. I have a dog. dog doggies are good boys. I miss cats though. Anywho, yep. not anyway, the yep. point. See, I, I was going to make a joke about how, you know, when the weather gets a little bit nicer, I'm, I'm going to set up my projector outside and do another outside movie night and and do From Beyond and Society. 
in this very crowded neighborhood that I live in. And make, with- make friends with all your neighbors. <laughs> That's a great idea. <laughs> that way they'll know that your house is the place to go. There's so many make- kids in this neighborhood. <laughs> Serve like themed pets <laughs> for the neighbors. Oh, man. Yeah, uh, that would be uh, an instant way to get immediately uh, evicted by the HOA. So, yeah, Knoxville, that, like green, green Kool Aid and Crisco, and you'll be good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my God! So, yeah, Knoxville Horror Film Festival, one of my favorite times of the year. Um, I, I, I'm honestly very sad that it's over and while i am glad that we finally finished this episode an hour after we started recording it and not a few weeks after we started uh i i'm so glad that we finally finished it but also like talking about knoxville again i'm I'm getting re-excited thinking about next year but also getting a little sad like oh oh right it's over again and now i have to wait like 11 more months (sighs) yeah yeah but more video monsters in, in between now and then. So like, much more video monsters between then. <laughs> we have probably another like 80 episodes before then. <laughs> God willing. <laughs> we, we're just going to start pumping out episodes every other week. Um, yeah. The uh, yeah, I, I am sad that the Knoxville Horror Film Festival is over, but Central Cinema is not over. Central Cinema uh, does exist all year round. And they've they've got a lot of really great stuff coming up. They've uh, got some of these might be showing this weekend at the time of this recording. So by the time I actually get this episode posted, um, it it might be gone. But they're showing American Movie, uh, The Good, The Bad, The Ugly, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, uh, Picnic and Hanging Rock, Oh, nice. The, the Eternal Daughter, a goofy movie, because yes, Jaws, uh, Grady Hendrix, How to Sell a Haunted House. Uh, they're, they're doing a um, like a live Grady Hendrix is going to be there. Yes. He's, uh, yeah, they're, they're yeah. Par- partnering with Union Avenue Books and like actually having Grady there to talk about his new book and, uh, and do a book signing. Uh, they also can't not mention this they're also going to be screening blood rage because of course they are because that's where i first learned about blood rage is through uh the central cinema knoxville horror film festival and now it is an annual thanksgiving tradition for me to watch it at least once and we've covered it on the podcast twice already yeah (laughs) if we hadn't just covered it last year we would be covering it again uh so maybe another year or two we will cover it for a third time and probably just rehash all the things, but just with even more love. Uh, and then they also have a happy horror days triple feature where they're going to be screening black Christmas. Don't open till Christmas. And then a secret screening, which I would not be surprised if that secret screening is Christmas, bloody Christmas. No idea whether or not it is, but would not be surprised uh, if that is the secret screening. And that's going to be on Saturday, December seventeenth. So, lots of lots of great things coming up. At uh, they've got Cobra coming up. Cobra, yeah, yeah. I see to Mean Girls, my friend. How dare you? They've got Mean Girls. Girls. Okay, so I just want to point this out for anyone who's listening to us and not currently looking at the Central Cinema uh, website. 
I've got my screen a little condensed, so you know, like it's shifting uh, how some of the pictures are. So I only see three pictures per row. The reason that matters is because there's Mean Girls, and then Cobra, and then Pride and Prejudice. Mean Girls is looking from my left into the center of the screen. Pride uh-huh. and Prejudice, she is looking from my right into the center of the screen. Be- because <laughs> of both looking at Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> because of the height of um. Because the height of each of them, yes, it looks like Mean Girls and Pride and Prejudice are both just given Cobra the stink eye of. Mm, I don't know about here? the stink eye. It looks like they're giving him like the they're, they're giving him a look over, like they're looking at him like. Mm. They're, they're giving him the sexy eye. Yeah, they're like, I need, I need me a slice of that Cobra. <laughs> does he? What is the thing that he does? He like cut pizza with a with scissors. <laughs> With scissors, that's what it is. Yeah, yes. he cuts it with scissors. I <laughs> uh, don't know what I was, what the, I was just thinking, like, yeah, I want to slice a cobra. And he's like, no, you have to slice it with scissors, slice, <laughs> slice off a piece of cobra with some scissors. No. Uh, I don't know where I'm going with that. I need to, we got to, we got to, we, we got to wrap this. We got to close things out. But yeah, I, I love Knoxville. I love Central Cinema. I cannot wait to go back. I know it's not that far away, but when you got two kids, anything outside of the house is that far away um <clears throat> hopefully once yeah they get, sure is once they get a little bit older i will be spending so much more time uh up in uh up in knoxville anywho uh yeah um william nick jessica everyone involved at, at central cinema once again we fucking love y'all you, you put so much heart and effort into creating one of my favorite uh film festivals not just one of my favorite horror film festivals but it is just it, it is just so welcoming and so inviting and and I love it and I'm always so happy when I'm when I'm there and even though this year I was only able to be there for a couple of films it, it just it it made my soul happy to be there especially since one of the ones that I caught was Christmas bloody Christmas <sighs> I'm so yeah, happy. keep it up guys it's just everything that you all are doing at Central Cinema is fantastic I mean you're you're doing God's work yes that's for sure maybe next year we can actually rope Dan into making the trek down to Knoxville. It is a plan at some point. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh, I need to see what they're screening first. Uh, no, you don't, Dan. You need to just come down. It doesn't matter what they're screening. I, I <laughs> guarantee you it's going to be amazing. They're, in the five years, six years, how many years have I been going in, in all of the years that I've been going to Knoxville Horror Film Festival, there's not been a single year that I was like, eh, so there were a couple of good films, but eh, it, was, it was fine. Like every single year, it's just like, okay, yeah, no, this this is amazing. And um, yeah, it, every single year, it's, it's perfect. And you will not be disappointed regardless of what they play because they don't play shit. <laughs> Very true. Uh, all right, we need to close things out. Dan, where do you want people to find you? Uh, still on Twitter. It's still guessing. It's still gassing along there for at least a little while longer uh, from HBO Front Row. And Eric, where can people find you shunting your tweets? Uh, I do that on Twitter at the Chimerican, T-H-E-C-H-I-M-E-R-I-C-A-N. 
Uh, I'm also on Instagram at Chimerican Reviews and on Letterboxd at Eric J-A-Y. And you can follow me slash the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd at Video Monster Pod. You can also follow me personally on Letterboxd at The Gargyle. That's G-A-R-G-Y-L-E because it's a gargoyle wearing an Argyle sweater. And Eric, if people enjoyed this yep. episode, what should they do aside from go to Central Cinema? Uh, they should give us a five-star review on their podcast listening app of choice. Uh, yeah, leave a, leave a good review, uh, spread the love, share out episodes to your friends and family and neighbors and uh, shunting partners. And uh, yeah, I don't know why we... We're really harping on shunting tonight. It's just—I think it's just so much. It's just so much fun to say the word shunting. It's just remember, once you've shunted someone, you've shunted with everyone they have shunted. <laughs> uh, I think it's because uh, yes. it like it sounds like it should be just like the worst curse word ever, but also just sounds like sound a made-up so word. Yeah. Like you know, anywho. But yeah, and and you know, like like Dan said, it, it's a similar concept with reviewing. You review things, and then that gets uh, pops up in other people's feeds, and then they listen, and they review, and then it just keeps on going. And and eventually, we uh, we all have a big, nice, happy family that we can gather together and and, and shunt to our heart's content. I guess I don't know. I'm so tired, guys. When when you review the podcast, you've also reviewed with everyone who else who has reviewed the podcast. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and Dan, if they enjoy this content, uh, what content should they come back for with our content upcoming content? Well, they can stick around for our upcoming episode of Parasite, our upcoming episode of The Handmaiden, and of course the uh the next punch out, which is the winter theme punch out. Which I am so excited for and a little scared about. Um it's going to be fantastic because I don't even know if I'm going to put up my own choices for voting, honestly. Yeah, no, we all had some good stuff. I, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be a real, uh, I don't think it's going to be a bloodbath because I think that all of them like, man, I want to discuss all of these themes, but also the, the early picks I think are going to have a huge impact on the rest of the ones that we put into the skull. Because, uh-huh. uh, you know, like a, a number of Dan's picks are the top audience picks. <laughs> Disproportionately yeah. so. And so it's like, he's, he's I, I can't. The man of the people. He's the man of the people. Pulse finger. I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> so, Is that your preferred shunting move? <laughs> well, I mean, you can definitely feel the pulse while shunting. It's just. <laughs> <laughs> so oh it's what propels the shunt. If oh my <laughs> God. so like if all uh, of the audience picks end up being dance picks, do I really want the first one that I add to be a Dan pick? But also <laughs> when I was creating my own personal list, one of the first ones that I picked was one of the ones uh, that Dan added. And I'm like, ah, what, wait a second. We can't just have all 10 of Dan's uh, options in there. So there's, oh. So good. I mean, we could, and I would not be yeah, upset. Yeah, we're fine. <laughs> but, but yeah, there's a, a lot of really great themes that we will potentially be discussing uh, during December, January, and February, and we will find. I mean, out I've got 
a list of sixteen that I that I uh, like that I would put up, and one of my choices is number fifteen. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey, one of your choices is also my fifteen. I yeah. also uh, made a list of sixteen just because I stopped at sixteen because I was like, all right, at, at that point, even if both of you pick all of the ones that I have on here, that still leaves me with enough to choose from. Mm. Uh, I those, did a list of 20. <laughs> I was just like, I'm just going to go for it. This is the, these are the 20 that I want. Well, even those, even my list of 16, the other 15 on the list are still very viable options. Like it, it was not a, I'm only going to pick my top five from these 16. It's a, I, I mean, these are like the first 16 that I want to discuss, but who knows? M- middle of the uh, d- d- middle of picking which ones we put into the skull, I might make a drastic shift and put like three themes that are all basically exactly the same because why not? Anywho, um, yes, if you want to listen in when we do our winter theme uh, popcorn punch out where we bicker and argue about what themes we want to discuss. And then also, you know, share a lot of love of like, man, Dan, that was that was a really great theme that you put on the list. And Eric, that was that was a really good going. I mean, who would have thought to have put on on a list of potential winter themes? And Nathan, I mean, I think it goes without saying that these are great choices. So there's going to be <laughs> thank you for that little skit. A lot of love. A lot of references to shock treatment and uh, a, a lot of arguing about which of these great themes are the best. And yeah, join us in Discord to to listen in live when we record that episode and all of our other all of our other episodes. Usually Tuesday nights at nine. Um, that varies a little bit depending on whether or not our kids are actually cooperating with bedtime. And by our kids, I primarily mean my kids. Because four-year-olds uh, apparently think that bedtimes are suggestions and not an actual bedtime. Um, but Mine's on a milk pole, and he can decide when to put himself to bed just fine. <laughs> 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 yeah, my, my four-year-old goes from, I'm not tired, I'm not tired, watch me stand on my head, to go away, I'm tired now. So... <laughs> <laughs> So bedtime is fun. I adore my son more than I can possibly explain. Also, parenting is hard sometimes. So join us in Discord where we record their episodes. The link is listed in the episode description. Just scroll down wherever you're listening to this. Click on that link. Come join us and uh, be a part of our uh, episodes when we record as well as our general movie discussion throughout the week. All right. Um... Yeah, the only other thing, uh, I've already said this like a hundred times, but let me make it a hundred and one. Go support Central Cinema. Go support indie movie theaters. If you do not live anywhere near Knoxville, find a, a local movie theater and support them. Support local artists. Support local movies. Support indie cinema. If you do live near Knoxville, for the love of God, go to Central Cinema. It is such a wonderful place. And um, yeah, if, if you can't get there in person, at least go buy some of their merch and enjoy their content 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 (laughs) all right that's been all the content for this episode of video monsters where we take content seriously but not ourselves good night everybody Mm. you lost points there for not saying we take shunting seriously (laughs) (laughs) 